Hello and welcome to Running Inside Out Podcast, where we talk about the races we ran in, the races we're not in, and getting outside to see what's going on inside the Rochester running scene. In this episode, Jason Vidmar chats about his 2016 running year, including crossing the Grand Canyon twice, you know, a.k.a. rim to rim to rim, and finishing up with the Barkley Fall Classic, the Little Barkley, as we've called it. While uh, 2016 started out with an injury, isn't it? it seems that's the way that all these good years are starting out lately, isn't it? Jason managed to uh, still find adventures in the Adirondacks, the Grand Canyon, and Frozen Head State Park. Uh, we also spend a little time helping Jason sort out his motivations in running and adventure while discussing impromptu hill running tournaments, pacing duties at Twisted Branch, and family life. So, speaking of Twisted Branch, they sponsored this episode. Yeah, go figure. They like me to tell you that the 2017 Twisted Branch Trail Run is August 19th, and registration opens February 2nd with early bird pricing in effect for the first month. And you could spring into action on February 2nd on the day of registration. No pause, no thinking, just jumping in and getting it for the price of 100 bucks on February 2nd. And then early bird pricing for the rest of the month. So why, why do you care? Why, well, because Twisted Branch is a pretty excellent trail race. Twisted Branch is a 100K Ultra which runs from Bristol Hills Branch of Finger Lakes Trails starting in Ontario County Park and depositing runners on the shores of Cuca Lake in the town of Hammondsport, New York. The trail is made up of single track, logging roads, groomed trails, dried stream beds, abandoned and dirt roads with just a sprinkle of pavement to get you from one trail to another. I mean, this is the Finger Lakes Trail. This is Bristol Hills. It's roots, rocks, ups and downs, you know? Uh, while it starts in one, be certain that this ain't a stroll through the park. With 10,000 feet of elevation gain and 11,000 feet of descent, you'll be challenged from start to finish of this race. You'll also be rewarded for your efforts with some of the most breathtaking views of the Finger Lakes region. New this year, a 20-hour cutoff. This impossible race just became possible. No more excuses. Two more hours. It's You got it all right there. Um, back again this year... Will be free camping at both the start and the finish line. Ontario County Park is a beautiful park with amenities like showers and restrooms. And then you get to sleep like just 100 yards away from the start line. Pretty excellent. Registration for the 2017 running of Twisted Branch opens on February 2nd, and early bird pricing will be in effect for the first month. Remember, I said that at the beginning. Everybody says, Oh, I missed out on the early bird pricing. Well, February. Get it. Get registered early and get started on your training now because you're going to need all the training you can get. Get more information at twistedbranchtrailrun.com. It's actually one of the best race websites that you're going to see. So, I mean, seriously, go out there and look at it. Uh, you can also find links to the Twisted site and Ultra sign up in the show notes. Twisted Branch 100K, August 19th. Don't miss it. Thanks to Twisted Branch for sponsoring this episode. And with that, let's get into the trails, training, food, friends, and yes, even feelings of Rochester runners. So you're lying in the briar patch. You're puking up right. on the side of a mountain and the power lines climb 
in a briar patch, right? Yeah, yeah. And and you're like, this is this is I man, I'm so alive right now. This is voluntary. <laughs> yeah, I'm so alive. My own volition. That's what I was seeking right there. Like total clarity. Right. Happen happens in those moments. You um, know, Marv Levy, uh, Bill's coach from back in the day, he wrote his book was "Where Would You Rather Be Than Right Here, Right Now." <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. that's yeah. what I think of you puking in the briar patch on the side yeah. of the Barclay course. I'm not sure if my thoughts were totally verbatim with that at yeah. that exact moment, but basically, <laughs> that's kind of it, right? That was the aha moment of this is what I signed up for. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one of the potential realizations that uh has now happened but i actually have to i gotta rib you a little bit because um i mean in some way you you, you might be partly responsible for having me even go through with that because we were kind of like <laughs> first talking about no feels like we've been discussing getting together and chatting for multiple years now yeah yeah Pre- predates your podcast <laughs> <laughs> we should talk about running someday <laughs> <laughs> but I remember you made a comment like, hey, you know, it'd be great to, to, to chat with you about this experience mm-hmm. if you don't end up dropping. <laughs> right. You know, if you end up actually doing it. Um, and I, I've had a little bit of a, a predilection toward, you know, signing up for a lot of races, not starting them. In part yeah. because these days you kind of got to sign up for stuff like way well, in yeah. advance to have a shot to do them. Yeah. Um, but you, you, your words were, were ringing true for me as I contemplated, <laughs> ah, maybe this isn't the year that I actually attempt this Barkley Fall Classic business. Yeah. Uh, no, no. Chris O'Brien, he, you, stung, said, you stung me with I those. think I said if you, if you actually show up to the race, then I want to know about it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I've turned that now into like this great mythology about what you actually <laughs> said. But that, and some of that, that's an actually true Barkley spirit because that's kind of part, part of the – the spirit of that race in the fall classic mm-hmm. is really um, a fair amount of uncertainty, um, half truths, <laughs> yeah. you know, things like that are circling around. But yeah, it's um, not really a marathon, right? Yeah. It's kind of a marathon. Yeah, but. no one really knows quite how far it is. You mm-hmm. never know quite what the course is, um, no, what you might encounter. GPSs or anything, right? No GPS. And yeah. so this Barkley Fall Classic was really the sort of the culmination of your year, right? I mean, this was your last big event for the year. Yeah. Right. It really so, was. That, that low point on, on Ratjaw that we can talk about was really the high point of yeah. my year, which gives wow. you an idea of how that year went, <laughs> where that is like the, the top moment. That low point was actually, okay. Yeah. But a lot was, uh, a lot was geared towards, I mean, mentally geared towards preparing for mm-hmm. Barkley. And uh, I mean, I've never been one to like prepare for just months and months and months for a single race, but definitely it was in the back of my mind yeah. for most of the year. And so, I mean, you, you you mentioned like signing up for a lot of races and then not like going. And I know I joke about that, but you would have like some races where you're just like, nah, it's not in the cards, you know? And um, I think, you know, at least my impression of that is because you go, you like to do more of these adventures. You know, racing yeah. is kind of a thing. <laughs> would you say it's like it's for the social piece of it? <laughs> You know, I, I've struggled with that, actually, just trying to, like, figure all this out, why some races I'm attracted to um, and why I choose to race at all uh, versus just strictly adventuring. Uh, you know, it's kind of funny even thinking about coming and talking to you, uh, being on the show. It, it kind of, like, launched me in this existential crisis of uh, oh, no. I need to actually figure this out. I, I may have to actually figure out why I do what I do. No, that's what we do. That's the service Is, is that what I happens offer. here? Yeah. Okay, This great. is the service I offer. Just lay down on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> I do this all wrong, trying to figure this out ahead of time. You know, yeah. maybe we can come to some kind of like, uh, yeah, realization over the course of talking. But yeah, that it, it is interesting because I feel running has a lot of paradoxes in it. Um, yeah. You know, reasons that we run now 
or adventure race now may be very different than what they were a year or two ago or what even got us into it in the first place so i mean in some sense i don't love racing like i'm no i'm no prem or uh <laughs> i can bang out 300 plus races a year or something um, 50, 50 races in a year i think he tries for like some i don't know some 500 race miles or something like that yeah yeah it's an impressive amount and I, and I know folks that, that really would probably prefer to just have race miles versus training miles, right? Um, whereas I would probably tend to shy away from the structure of just having a set race. There's a set start time. There's all these things that just feel very rigid to me. But um, I think some of that, though, just having, um, you know, some of the big races, the big ultras, um, can take you places where you couldn't get on an adventure alone. So Barclay's an example of that. Like, you can't go out and you can't just peter around in the hills, um, around frozen head park and uh and do that course on your own first of all the course isn't documented so good luck finding it uh second of all a lot of it's on private property and uh you know as uh as laz lake um who's kind of kind of the adopted name for gary cantrell who's one of the co-founders of of the big barkley and also barkley fall classic but as he says you know there's a lot of private property guarded by yaller dogs which I don't know what a yowler dog is, but uh, it's some type of ferocious, um, you know, only partially domesticated dog. Packs of these running around. Again, this might be another Barkley like mythology thing, but we've all come to believe that if you go on that course outside of proper race times, you will likely be attacked by you know packs of wild dogs. You'll so, be yowlered, right? Or possibly shot. I mean, it's you know, I think people are protective of the private property. Mm-hmm. Down in those parts, you know, so you really, I mean, really, if you want to have the quote-unquote Barkley experience, or you want to see that course at all, you want to kind of know whether you could actually handle a course that difficult, you do have to sign up for the proper race, you know. So there, show up. There's an example of one of the reasons why I would be drawn yeah. into a race, is to do something like that. Yeah. Um, but you're right, there's the social aspect, too. I mean, just, uh, I think something about, like, the shared the shared experience, the shared commiseration of going through a race together, you know? Yeah, and there's that social catching up with people, seeing people and all that, you know, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. And yeah, I think, I think there's also something about the, the relationships, they stay fresh. If you only see somebody for a couple of minutes and then you go run, you have this experience. The next time you get together, you can talk about that experience, you know, and it might be the next race or whatever, but they, it stays sort of new you know yeah and um when i think of somebody that goes out and does all these races i think i think of it as a series of new adventures every week i got a new race i'm going to see a new set of people this the yeah. people at freezeroo are different than the people at the dirt cheaps are different than the people at the trails rock races you know and yeah. so you can keep bouncing around from that to that but on the other side there's somebody like you who just sort of all of a sudden you see that they're out west and they have a DeLorme tracker and they're, they're about to descend what, into the Grand Canyon. Right. What kind of trouble could I get myself into? You know, right. 72 hours or something like that, I, right? I have a beacon and, yeah. and I should be fine. <laughs> that is the mentality a lot. Kind of taking advantage, you know, seizing the day. Um, mm-hmm. If you happen to have a business trip or, you know, something you know far enough in advance where you could plan, yeah. uh, taking advantage of that. Um, I, I think racing helps maybe if you're looking for running to be a fitness for some of these adventures, which uh, is one of one of the ways I'd be running is really as kind of this this fitness builder to enable you to do some big adventures. Racing helps keep you honest. I mean, you, you sign up for a race, you pay, pay money for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, having one or two of those on the calendar I don't think is a bad thing just to kind of uh, – to make sure you kind of keep up your end of the bargain 
yeah. getting off your couch from time to time. But you're sort of, <laughs> you know, I guess I would say in in my view, and in, uh, I have your picture up on the wall, you're notorious for saying that you don't think you're fit enough to run Twisted Branch. <laughs> that's right, man. That's the, right? that's, that's the elusive benchmark. So you went, <laughs> you ran in the Grand Canyon from one end of the Grand Canyon to the other end. Yeah. And but you're not fit enough to do the Bristol Hills branch. <laughs> you know, I think it's just it's different types of events, you know, and this kind of gets into what's the difference between going out on a, on a self-planned adventure or an adventure with friends um, and an adventure framework versus a proper race framework. Um, I, there, there are some differences there. I mean, with with something like the Grand Canyon, um, the flip side with doing something like that, especially self-supported or unsupported, there's some various definitions. But if you do that. You know, you are ultimately the one that's on the hook for not only your own safety, but actually making it out alive, right? So you, mm-hmm. you, there's definitely a lot of onus on you mm-hmm. <laughs> to do some planning and be yeah. capable enough to get out of the bottom of something like the Grand Canyon, you know, and not misjudge that. Um, limited communications, a lot of environmental hazards. So that part, mm-hmm. I would say, is a little more daunting than just going and running Twisted Branch. But <laughs> something like Twisted Branch 100K with the with the time limit <laughs> out on a pretty rugged trail you know you're you're you're, you're working harder right it's a different level yeah, of intensity i guess so and uh, i think something like that you can't necessarily just muscle through it i think you got to have a certain base um some some long distance mileage some long distance base under your belt to really not just completely blow up and suffer on that course i mean you're you're a veteran you you, you know yeah a veteran <laughs> That's <laughs> meaning, meaning I have experienced it, yes. <laughs> That's kind of my take, though. There is, there is this distance threshold somewhere yeah. out there, and I think it's above 50K, where if you're going to complete any reasonable amount of time, like you're going to do 40, 50, 60 miles, unless you have all week to do it, mm-hmm. <laughs> you can do this in a day or a day yeah. and a half, there is a certain, I think, a next level of endurance base right. you're going to want to have, if it's going to be pure running. Right. If you're in... in you know, and through this, you haven't said if you're going to be competitive, it's it's something like you're saying pure running. Like so, what you're saying is, yeah. you have an expectation of how you're actually going to execute these races, and if you don't yeah. feel like you're physically going to execute them the way you'd like, <laughs> like you imagine yourself running up Mount Washington at mile sixty of Twisted Branch, and if you yeah. don't feel like you can actually run up Mount Washington, then you don't really want to do it. Is that fair? Yeah, I think there, there's maybe some of that. I think also, um, by the way, Twisted Branch is very intriguing to me. So I definitely I haven't written off Twisted I, Branch. Like one of these days. That's why we're having this conversation. <laughs> as long sir. as Scott McGee is willing to keep this race open. Well, you know, you know the uh, time cutoff has been extended to 20 hours this year. I saw year. that. So. That's a um, little extra padding there, you know? I mean, a lot of people talked about that cutoff. Just The cutoff is a very daunting 18 hours. Pretty aggressive. And 18 hours, I think, is a magic number, by the way, because when I look back at... Um, so Twisted Branch you know, had this infamous 18-hour cutoff. Mm-hmm. And a lot of very solid, very capable runners that I know, you know were kind of right up against that cutoff. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know when, I, yeah. when I paced Matt that first year, you, you, we were all trading spaces those yeah, you last guys two whooped, hours. You guys whooped my butt. <laughs> 15 seconds. I mean, it was a pretty hot finish, right? <laughs> That was a hot finish. All of us coming down that triad trail. That, that was yeah. something else. That's right around 18 hours. Um, the Great Range Traverse adventure that I did back in 2015 was right about 18 hours mm-hmm. on the dot. That wasn't a run. It was really kind of a pure uh, adventure hike. But Grand Canyon rim to rim to rim was right around 18 hours. I mean, I'm not um, you know, trying to find meaning where there isn't any or connections where there aren't mm-hmm. any. But this 18-hour cutoff, it's interesting to me that 
you know, a lot of um, outsized adventures tend to settle around that time frame. Well, 18 hours for me is sort of, I, I've, I've made it my imaginary threshold, you know. Um, I've always said, always, I don't know how long I've always been saying it, but I haven't said anything different than this, which is sleep deprivation is very daunting. So 18 hours is kind of like wake up, until you're absolute and go until you're absolutely dog tired, exhausted. Yeah, that's eighteen. Hundred milers require you to be dog tired, exhausted, and then keep going. <laughs> you know, so I think that's why eighteen is maybe a little bit more magical. You yeah, know? right. You cross that eighteen threshold, you're into you're into a different zone. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, yeah. You know, you're digging deeper than you know you you've been able to chart. Previously, yeah. and maybe that's where fitness changes over. You know, it's not fitness anymore. Now it's something else. I, I think. I think possibly right, and also I think some of it is you really have to. I think to do anything to do an eighteen-hour adventure, whether it be running a hundred k, or you know, going out into the woods or some canyon somewhere and doing eighteen hours. I think you need to know why you're out there doing it. Um, mm-hmm. You got to be kind of all in for it. Um, I would never, you know, just kind of checking it off the box like I need to get a hundred k done. Um, maybe I'll just do twisted branches so I can say I got to the 100k mark, or or do it because everyone else is. Um, I, I think for me, I really have to feel like this is a, a major, major objective. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of time out there, right? Mm-hmm. It's a lot of commitment. Well, and, and it's all the time built into getting ready for it, right? Yeah, and, yeah. There's and the we've preparation. We talked about the family, right, and <laughs> and the schedule and stuff, and so. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's a thousand miles to get ready for a hundred K race. Yeah. You know, so. And I found even, and, and strangely enough, even though this is a total contrast to any like adventure in the, in the Grand Canyon or up in the whites or up in the Adirondacks running a road marathon, for some reason, I'm still oddly attracted to, you know, doing road marathons. So, uh, you know, I, I just think that, I don't know how to explain that, that contrast, that dichotomy. Mm-hmm. But uh, one thing I do know is that it is just it is a different level of preparation. If you're going to run a road marathon, you know you got to be prepped to get in your 40, 50 mile per week basin. You got to be pretty regimented about that. I think if you're training for a 100k run, even though as you and I know, you're not necessarily running for all that 100k. No, <laughs> you no. might be surviving toward the end of it. Um, but you have to have that basin. Now, adventuring in contrast, it's just it can be a little different. You can stop. You can modulate your pace. Uh, when I did Grand Canyon, rim to rim to rim. That took about 18 hours, um, but my mileage base going in was really low. I was coming off an injury at DC Marathon, and I think I was looking back at the logs. I was running basically sub-20 miles a week when I was leading up to the canyon, and then the week right before, I would got up to like 30 miles a week. Mm-hmm. But I was running like you know, 15, 18. I was, I was kind of coming back from injury, doing a lot of weight training, yep. just trying to build back strength. And because that was really kind of a half-run, half-hike, mm-hmm. but at my own controlled, modulated pace— I didn't feel I needed that that extreme running base, right? To be you able could to sort of go as you please, yeah, as you please. <laughs> given right. given that you see the sun setting, you're you know. Going. <laughs> so yeah, you mentioned. Um, so we sort of covered like a little bit of the the motivations, or at least the the satisfactions or the rewards of these types of things. Um, but you did bring up uh, DC Marathon, and that's sort of where we started the year, right? I mean, that's right. All the way back, way back in March, the G Street crew, right, up to uh, D.C., uh, down to D.C., and um, we had a bunch of us in a house. We did the D.C. Marathon. You uh, brought the family down, right, and did sort of your own D.C. adventure. That's right. And then we all ran the marathon together. 
Yeah, it was a heck of a weekend. Um, it kind of I, I had signed up pretty early for mm-hmm. DC. Um, yeah, you were one. You know. So speaking of being responsible <laughs> for things, I wasn't. There was no road marathon in my future. <laughs> There was nothing. And then you and Wreck Earth are like, hey, DC Marathon. It's close enough. You can drive there. Uh, you know? Yeah. Road so trip. I ran yet another road marathon after swearing road marathons yeah, off. That's what I'm, the road marathons are, are very strange like that. Like they even, I mean, an ultra, an ultra run out in the woods versus a traditional big city road marathon. I mean, those are some major contrast points there, right? But somehow we still get drawn to these road marathons for some reason. I, yeah. I'm not sure which got you there. But uh, the fact that eight other people were going down. <laughs> so it was more of like the yeah. social camaraderie. Yeah, that's exactly it. Like, why Why would I miss this? And maybe I should stay honest for my winter training, you know? like, yeah. And so nothing like a March marathon to keep you honest. And all my friends were going, you know, what the heck? <laughs> so Seems like a good idea. Yeah, terrible idea. Um, but then, yeah, so we went down. We had a, a decent dinner. And then... Uh, it was sort of like we had separate weekends because you had the the family yeah. weekend. I had the but, full family weekend. They had to kind of cater to my, um, you know, my grievances post race mm-hmm. and pre race. They were pretty mm-hmm. good, yeah. accommodating me there. We, we kind of turned into a family vacation mm-hmm. slash road race for Jason. Um, yeah. And my wife finally started catching on. She was like, you know, why is it all of our recent family vacations tend to revolve around one of your running or adventure? Yeah, uh, let's events. not talk about the Barkley Fall uh, Classic just right, yet. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that feeds into that too. So I'm I, I, 2017. Right, we we got. I, I have a little bit of a different plan to try yeah. to rectify that a little. <laughs> I've taken the. I've, I'm going on the family vacation and I'll be running during it. So (laughs) exactly. But that was a fun experience. I mean, that race did not go as planned for me by, by any stretch. I I think my mindset actually early 2016 was really about, um, you know, just seeing what I could do kind of running performance wise. I was really looking to kind of explore performance limits. Could I get to Boston qualifier level? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, could I set a few PRs at certain distances? So it really was like a total contrast to kind of the adventure mindset that i that i had for you know the preceding year but that the, the rails kind of came off when the training just didn't cooperate yeah with you know getting back to like the distance requirements like the, the, the regimen that's required to really execute a road marathon the right way um I, you know there, there really is a lot more i i think strict training regimen required for a road marathon than, than just about anything else i'm aware of um you know compared to like compared to ultras compared to events where you know, you're going to be up against some real low points in the race and nutrition and environment and everything else has to come into play. You know, for a road marathon, you obviously have the weather. <clears throat> Can't control that. But outside of the weather, you know, your pacing tends to be pretty well planned out, consistent. And there's something about that just like pure physical effort um, that I think it's compelling just to just to see what you can do in that sort of environment. Right. Um, so, so you have like these – now you have – two contrasts you have this yeah help me figure this out man you have this physical <laughs> performance going on how how can i sort of be the best i can how can i tune this machine but also i want to go out in the woods and see a bunch of things so where where do these things come from you know like you yeah. got the you got the engineering brain right you got the really yeah. like heavy regimented mathematical brain going and then you have on the other side you have the you have a little bit of a creative streak in you you know and so thank you thank you for that I, I've seen it <laughs> I've seen it and you know the yeah, yeah. you know nobody comes up with that hill challenge if they don't have a creative streak that's right but nobody pulls up those stats <laughs> unless they have the engineering mind streak 
So, you know, we're going to get into that and maybe hopefully we get into that little hill challenge you constructed. But, um, yeah, you have both of those things sort of at play each time, right? Performance characteristics and tuning and trying to make the machine run well. Yeah. And then go wander. Do you find them often in, like, conflict with each other? Yeah. Yeah, all the time, actually. I've been trying to figure this out for years. You know, <laughs> what is funny, because I think I even when I was on uh, – I joined Jeff Green on his, uh, you know, his 140 mile plus escapade across the Adirondacks for a few miles with him this summer, and we were talking about that on one bout before I uh, uh, sliced my head open on some log up on Nye Mountain. Um, we were trying to we were trying to nail this actually. You know, what is it? What what drives us to do what we do? I, I think for me actually, it kind of boils down to. I was thinking about this a little bit. Um, if I had to paraphrase it in like in one sentence, I'd probably say um, experiences are more important than ideas, um, and meaning that. Just seeking out real experiences, actually going out and doing things are more important than, you know, coming up with your philosophy or your thoughts on things, whether that's a dumb idea or not. You go out and experience it. Give it a try. And I think there's some aspects of me, certainly, that's kind of intrigued by knowing what your performance thresholds are. Maybe that's the part that drives me to occasionally do these road marathons or... Mm-hmm. Um, beer miles. I don't know, is, that, is that a performance uh, event? I don't know. But uh, <laughs> there's a lot of metrics involved there. There's there's right. uh, fluid dynamics involved in that stuff. The <laughs> yeah, fluid exactly dynamics right. are no joke. Yeah, it appeals to engineers. Um, so there's that. You know, it's just kind of that. That is a component, right, of running. Um, just kind of understanding what your actual physical limits are from performance perspective. Right, because um, adventures can be pretty crappy if you're not physically prepared for them. Yeah. Right. And then there's, I think, the adventure is doing memorable things, um, having memorable experiences, trying things that are difficult and likely to cause great deals of discomfort while they're happening <laughs> for some reason. Yeah. You know, I, I'm drawn to that. I know a lot of people are drawn to that. Pain, uh, pain brings about clarity oftentimes. Yeah. yeah. What, what's up with that? Um, I think you might actually hit a little bit on this, though, because you were talking way back, might have been one of your first few podcasts, you were talking about a book that I had read, Flow. Yeah. Um, by an author's name who I butcher yeah. every time. Me, Halle Csikszentmihalyi. Yeah. 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 And one of his theses in that book is really that, um, you know, we kind of craft our own optimal experience, right? We, we, it, it's really like the most memorable times we tend to have are definitely difficult and arduous yeah. times. He's got a, he's got a really cool threshold um, about your skill set versus the level of challenge that you're facing. And if it's, if you have a low skill set and a high challenge, it's daunting, right? And you don't want to do it and it's fearful for you. But, and if you have a very high skill set and a low challenge, it's very boring. Yeah. And so he has this scale where if you have a high challenge and a high skill set, you can find flow because you're being challenged and you're able to meet the challenge. And so I think that it's very much true. Like everybody, you had mentioned everybody's searching for that threshold. Is it a 50 K? Is it a 50 miler? Is it 18 hours in the woods? But if your level of, you know, skill and acumen meets the level of challenge, that's when you're going to have the most fun. That's when you're going to enjoy it the most. That's when you're going to perform the best. And and where is that limit for folks? You know, Mm -hmm. Um, maybe for some it's doing, you know, bad water, bad water basin <laughs> ultra. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely. I, I think you know you start dropping off right. The bell curve mm-hmm. hits that. Um, you know, hits that tail, mm-hmm. probably somewhere above the hundred mile mark. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah, and uh, you know, like Dan Ostrander during his hundred mile at Burning River, he said, "I'm, I was borderline not having fun." <laughs> 
Not that he wasn't having <laughs> right. fun. He's borderline. He's borderline. <laughs> like any any more of this, and I'm not having fun. But right now, I am. You know, and finding that line is you know really important. And there's and, there, and I think there is. I mean, you talk about training. I mean, training can take different forms. You know, if it's a road marathon, I think it it, it tend to get the most out of it. it's fairly a more strict regimen. If it's an ultra marathon. I don't think super strict training regimens are necessarily uh, going to be. You know what, what would lead you to the most optimal success, but there certainly is, I think, a minimum time into a time investment required to do some of these things. Like yeah. if you're going to be running a hundred mile, I mean, you've talked to a lot of hundred mile finishers on this program, right? Um, I'm not sure what the you know kind of um, collective wisdom is on the minimum amount of time you should be running or training each week. Oh, but uh, but I think wisdom you know. is not something I associate <laughs> with the hundred milers that have been on this show. <laughs> Touche. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's a good point. But if you think about like your physical base, right? You're, yeah. You know, I think you got to be putting some hours in, probably nine, ten hours of, mm-hmm. of kind of training and getting your system ready yeah, to endure that. Yeah, at least nine that. or ten hours. Right, right. At least, right? I mean, you talk to like people who are out there training for Ironman. I mean, yeah. they're training 20 plus hours, right? Yeah. <laughs> Multidiscipline. So. So I, I do think it's, um, there, there's a mindset there that needs to be applied. But you, you know, you also seem in a way goal oriented. Um, a little bit of an ad lib goal, but you still have goals, you know, and those goals are, um, let's call them non-traditional, right? Yeah. You have an idea of how you're going to perform doing a given thing. So you came out of DC and as you said, you were injured. That's right. You hadn't been doing a lot of running. <laughs> right. Got banged up during the race. And I think it was, um, just preceding that the weekend before, I think was last man standing. That's actually where I met Jason Mintz. Yeah. Um, you were out for that. Uh, standing around, standing around. I, I actually did twenty miles, but I did them before the race. It was before. That's right. You had a twenty mile day. Mm-hmm. That's right. You were training for was your last DC long run or something that yeah. day, and uh, yeah. decided to do that race actually on a whim because uh, I didn't feel like my DC training was going according to plan, and I just said, "Hey, you know, screw it. Let's go out and let's just let's have fun. Let's do this race." I thought it was a really creative idea. I love the concept that uh, Eric put together, Eric and Sheila, yeah. for this last man standing. So that was the weekend before DC. Not advisable to be racing <laughs> up to a 20-mile you know, trail race before a road marathon. But uh, my mindset was, hey, DC is just not going to go the way I want it to go. Let me just run this. And it was an awesome experience. Had a ton of fun. Yeah. Probably my, my the most fun I've had in an event. And you looked really like you look like you were actually having fun. Each time you came through the loop, you looked nice yeah. and comfortable, and you were just you were having a good time. Yeah, it was enjoyable. I loved the format, um, everything about it, uh, just being able to kind of hang out with people in the early stages of the race you know so the the format of that was you run a loop and you have x amount of time to finish that loop starting i think 13 minutes or whatever and then might have even been more those first few those first few might have been even higher so you run a lap it's a mile loop you finish that lap you wait for everybody to finish and then you start the next lap yep Right. And so, and every lap, it went down a little bit and down a little bit to the point of when you're at like mile 20 ish, you're running a nine minute mile. Yeah. I think maybe. it might have even dropped to eights at that yeah. point. And so um, the idea is who can finish the lap, right? Last man standing. And you were up there for quite some time, even though you had a marathon the next week. <laughs> <laughs> I was in the mix. I fin- ended up finishing fourth. In that yeah. race, but uh, it was it was funny well, too because you know Mince and Mince and Dan Ward they didn't have marathons the next weekend. Right? <laughs> yeah, I wish I could blame it on that. Yeah, Mince is he he was I think he actually ran probably close to an ultra that day because yeah, he basically ran he in between. I think he ran thirty one. 
something like that. Yeah, he didn't also take off those early laps. Like, I was really just enjoying hanging out with folks, talking, kind of really uh, milking the time clock. But, you know, Jason was, he was pretty much dialed in and constant pace mm-hmm. through the whole time. So it was an impressive performance. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was tough, too. I mean, you get in that course, though, you start looking at eight, an eight-minute mile. On that course, I mean, it didn't seem like it was that much, but it felt like I was just flying. Yeah. Like, full, like... Well, it was it's, nice, it's a, and it had <laughs> snowpack, right? And snowpack, it was rough ground. It was a little longer than a mile, so that was just 1. enough. One, yeah. Not enough to modulate that pace down and make it feel faster. <laughs> so that last loop, I think we were all just, just hanging in there, barely hanging in there. And so did you come out of there a little wacky or a little messed up? Yeah, that really... Um, I, I could tell I was just mostly road running that year. Like, yeah. doing any trails at all, like, it completely mm-hmm. kind of... My... my, my um, Adductors were just kind of shot. Um, I almost saw Stratton for the first time after yeah. that race, just because like my my body was just trashed. It felt like I yeah. had you know calves, knees, everything. I was like, man, what did I just do? Wow. I remember sitting at a. Actually, Valerie and I went to the Jiva Theater that night to watch some play, and I was basically needing her assistance to climb up these stairs <laughs> towards the top <laughs> row of the Jiva. I was like, yeah, this man doesn't look like he's going to be running a road marathon next week uh, in seven days. But decided to go ahead with it anyway. I think. Uh, I think I'd actually talked myself into doing the half marathon at that point at DC, mm-hmm. but uh, it might have been. I think it was that you know. So Dave Justice actually he had broken his arm, mm-hmm. and he was still going to run the road marathon. Yeah. So I think that might have been the tipping point for me, saying, "Okay, here's a man with a broken arm, going to run the marathon." I, I have yeah. really no. Yeah. Imagine my fear seeing him at mile 16 during that out and back section. <laughs> I'm on 16. And I turn and I come on the back and part of the arm back, and I see him and he's holding his arm up and he's like, "Don't let me catch you." And <laughs> he's I'm like, on you. "He's about a mile and a half behind me." And I'm like, "Oh, come on!" He ran a really strong race. Yeah, I just wanted to run a nice, easy four hours. And suddenly, now I'm like running from the man with the broken arm. <laughs> yeah, that was that was impressive. Um, yeah. So I, I don't necessarily have any regrets over the fact that I ran DC, probably undertrained, under mileage, a little bit bruised up from last man standing i ended up injuring myself at mile at mile 21 22 i cramped up pretty hard i mean that's not unusual during a road marathon mm-hmm. i mean cramping happens all the yeah. time it was a pretty hard calf cramp and i kind of modulated my, my gait for the last four miles um looking over my shoulder for green and Mertzak, um mm-hmm. who actually had started way back in, in, in the corrals so they were already kind of ahead of me time-wise mm-hmm. but uh just kind of you know those last four miles basically limped through and i think that is what caused like a decent right knee injury to me you know it took me about three to four weeks to be able to go upstairs you know without the assistance of either a crutch or a hiking pole around here again so probably my first like significant running injury but it didn't end up being it was kind of self-diagnosed i went to see stratton (laughs) um it seemed to be like just really heavily strained maybe minor tearing like knee knee ligaments yeah strap put you through the crusher yeah, yeah, that was nice uh, nice and relaxing. <laughs> <laughs> it's relaxing as soon as he stops. Like, when he's in there, I, what I like about him is he doesn't really show you any mercy. If he gets a hold of one of those things, yeah, he'll he'll do what he needs to do. He'll, he'll ask you, are you okay? Yeah. But he'll ask you in a way that makes you say, yeah, yeah, I'm okay. No, it helped. I mean, I was glad yeah. I saw him. Um, I During it, I was looking for, like, do you have a leather strap I could bite or something like that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. bottle of whiskey, maybe. Yeah, but when you come out, you're like, "Wow, that that works. It moves again." You know, so it did help. Um, so that was kind of that, that. That took me out for a while, though. Um, yeah, just chalk it up to injury, and then I had 
been hiking around here. I actually had some hiking poles. I was going out to the Coyote 4x4 trail three weeks after that, getting some hiking in in Ellison, and then uh, decided to head up to the Adirondacks. Probably a little prematurely, though, but an adventure came up, right? This adventure mm-hmm. idea came up to do the Dick's Range mm-hmm. uh, with some friends. And uh, it just kind of came out of nowhere. It didn't seem like it seemed like it was an opportunity I couldn't pass up on. Yeah. So did that pretty arduous uh, weekend. Yeah, Dix is no joke. And it was pure, pure ice covered too. So this is one mm-hmm. of those things. Um, this was with Morton Danielle, where it was uh, you know everything looked calm and nice and easy, piece of cake. You know, at the trailhead and even you know five hundred feet, thousand feet up. But this, the mountains are basically covered in a veneer of ice mm-hmm. <laughs> you know above, above and you're a hiking thousand. up the stream so you're in dicks you're hiking yeah. directly up the stream so yeah and it was uh so there was a there's a few little falls and there's definitely a lot of just uh moments where you're kind of reaching out for anything possible to stabilize you i had the hiking poles and stuff but um at the end of that kind of two-day weekend two days of hiking there basically re-injured myself <laughs> re-injured the knee was out Genius. another three weeks i started i think at some point earlier in the podcast i said you're a pretty smart guy i'm gonna take i'm gonna take that one back <laughs> yeah you know there there's there's an aspect of folly i think into any of these adventures there there's a certain aspect yeah. of uh yeah foolishness some some stupidity that comes into play so you uh you come out of dicks you're a little beat up yeah, uh, again. You re-injured yourself. You got a little bit better. Now, your darling wife is sort of just taking this all in stride, right? Like, she's just watching you limp around the house going, I love that guy. Yeah, she was She was concerned to a degree. And it kind of hit me as it, we were doing um, customer meetings around the yeah. state, going to some of the, the contractors that I have to visit, um, on meetings with, with some of my coworkers. And uh, one, of these, one of these facilities in particular is just kind of an old 1950s era facility. I'm not sure it has elevators in the building. There's a lot of stairs. Mm-hmm. And I was pretty much... Yeah, here's here's you know supposedly this marathon runner, as my coworkers know me to be, and this adventurer, and I was like basically uh, almost unable to get to the conference room in some of these buildings, right? Because the knee was so banged up, and I was thinking, man, this is this is a moment of really um, you know eating some humble pie here, and also it was kind of just interesting to deal with deal with an injury, um, you know, kind of put things into perspective a little bit. <laughs> Getting, getting closer to 40 now maybe you got to be a little bit maybe you can't just go out and uh you know run 20 mile plus distances for the heck of it or, or you just know throw yourself yeah. up a mountain yeah exactly you got to watch it a little bit more so that was a moment i wouldn't call it i mean i, I think i was extremely fortunate i didn't have any lasting damage yeah. covered fully so there's yeah. people that have dealt with much much worse than that right. but it was a moment where i stopped and paused and said okay maybe i should reevaluate some of the and the plans that i have here yeah and out of your reevaluation came rim to rim to rim yeah yeah and and right didn't seem that that that, that was not consistent with that uh <laughs> the, See, the current situation thought, right i'm almost 40 i better do this now <laughs> yeah this is my definition of a midlife crisis. Let me go, you know, do a double cross, you know, the, the yeah. Grand Canyon. Yeah. Um, no, it really wasn't. It really wasn't that. But, you know, I do try to plan adventures around, you know, opportunities. <clears throat> so, you know, being that my company's based on the West Coast, on the calendar for like at least six months was the fact that we had a sales conference <clears throat> out in the West Coast. And the last time I was out there in 2014, when I first did Rim to Rim, I convinced myself that, yeah, it's just a short drive. San Diego to the Grand Canyon, you know, that's a short drive. Yeah, just short. I mean, compared to that was 12 Rochester hours or something. The Grand Canyon. <laughs> <laughs> Distances are pretty big out west, let me tell you. You know, you get yeah. in the car, you start driving. And, um, yeah, my, so it was my first visit to the Grand Canyon that kind of that really set the stage for this Rim to Rim to Rim was back in 2014. Mm-hmm. 
and I'd really just getting had, had gotten into running at that point, kind of only six months removed from doing Tough Mudders and thinking, okay. hey, this is the most insane running experience I've ever had, running up to 10 miles. <laughs> well, and, well, picking stuff up and putting stuff down and crawling under things. And yeah. I always equate a Tough Mudder to, this, this is this is what I picture. A t- I've never done a Tough Mudder. I have friends that do them. I've seen them. I understand kind of what they are. I equate them to run a mile, get kicked in the balls. Run a mile, get kicked in the balls. Do that 10 right. times. Or possibly get, you know, hooked up to high-voltage wiring. Yeah, I mean, the same thing. I mean, yeah. you know. Yeah, that was, I mean, yeah, strangely enough, that was, I mean, kind of <clears throat> a little bit of an arc, but really Tough Butter is probably what got this whole running thing, <laughs> yeah. as folks may have called it, or this this phase that I entered into. Um, and more than just a phase, but really just discovery. Running yeah. discovery is really what kicked it off was doing a Tough Butter event. You learned that you could do 10 miles of distance and... And it helped me discover trails too. My my neighbor actually had <clears throat> had talked to me about getting into one. It kind of really appealed to the whole tough mutters and Spartan races. I think they're really peaking around 2012, 2013. It was kind of this whole anti corporate. Mm-hmm. Let's get out from the desk and the cubicle. Let's mm-hmm. go experience something real. Let's get you know shocked by uh, high voltage uh, electricity. Not that, that's actually part of these events. I, I think that oh, part's yeah. pretty silly to be honest with you. I, well, I actually skipped the. That, that aspect yeah. of the course. Well, but. and the the jumping in the ice cold water. Yeah. Right. The ice bath. Right. That's fun. That's a practical. That's a practical skill. You know, well, you could be. Yeah, you could fall in somewhere, somewhere in the uh, Adirondacks needing to swim across. You could. <laughs> you could very well. I mean, there might Icy be lake. there might be really heavy tractor tires that you have to pick up and move. <laughs> right. <somewhere. laughs> Just blocking blocking the trail. Yeah. That you have to deal with. But uh, yeah, funny enough, it was kind of you know one of those events that got me launched into thinking of even crazier events and actually discovering the trails because training for tough mudder is when i first said hey I, you know this is kind of on the trails it's in an atv park could you actually run on the trails can that be done mm-hmm. <laughs> trail running does that exist right sure yeah. enough it does yeah and that kind of led me to really discover some of the local trails and uh just getting the trail running mm-hmm. in the first place so that, that kind of just fast forward doing tough mudder one summer to planning a rim to rim run the next is kind of how quickly yeah, wow. that escalated so, you know, it's got serious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I think I've noticed that pattern too. If you talk to folks, like I think I was talking to Ron, Ron Herkins about this, um, his escalation from kind of just really discovering Ronnie and getting into the community and then doing his first, attempting his first hundred mile. Mm-hmm. I think it was a really short time, time mm-hmm. span as I recall yeah. him talking about and others have had similar stories. I think when you're riding that wave of discovery, mm-hmm. it's just, you know, everything's so new and possibilities. You have the, you have the and the encouragement and the support and you're like, yeah, I could totally do this. You yeah. Know? Yeah. You know, you don't, you don't, you haven't really defined what the upper bounds are yet. Mm-hmm. That's what I think is so magical about first getting into the sport. Well, and to sort of jump to the Barkley, you know, a little yeah. bit, that's what I, I really love about Laz's philosophy is that, so many people sign up for races knowing that they can finish or that they will finish, you yeah. know, and, and where is the challenge in doing something that you know you can do, you know, and that uh, his philosophy scares the heck out of me, but there's something about that that I can really appreciate, you know, yeah, that moment when you absolutely positively know that you can't do it. You know, like, uh, <laughs> right. You just know, there's no more digging deep. There's yeah. you, you've dug as deep yeah. as you can possibly go. Um, and there's no way, despite uh, there's no pity party that's going to get you to finish. There's no like miracle, anything you, you have failed, you yeah. know, you have officially found your upper bound for this particular <laughs> event. <laughs> yeah. And that's part of why I thought Grand Canyon rim to rim to rim would be kind of 
an interesting litmus test for Barkley, mm-hmm. even though they're vastly different sorts mm-hmm. of events. But you know, Grand Canyon rim to rim to rim has has a has a good chance of death if you if you don't plan it well. Right. <laughs> so you were you were just to get to sort of timeline set and yeah, you have to register for the Barkley Fall Classic pretty early in the year, right? Is it the is it the beginning of January? That's when I signed up actually. Right. Um and in this year's race sold out the, the same day registration opened in uh October. Right. I so, think that's the Netflix effect. Uh, that, that, that's the Netflix effect and I think I think the race the race actually was already sold out um in January twenty sixteen by the time I signed up and I signed up immediately after watching um, the race that eats its young documentary on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some January night. Yeah, that's the Netflix. The Netflix event. You know, everybody yeah, over it, the course of 2016, everybody saw that registration right. comes around this year. Everybody signs up for the fall classic. <laughs> Something about the fact that you know, here's an event that 800 people have attempted in the past 25 plus years, and 17 have finished, or something of that nature. That just seems like, yeah, this is this is this is intriguing, man. Yeah, and so you had to sign. You had signed up for that. For the fall that, classic version, right? 50K so you version. you signed up for the fall classic, and then you did last man standing, and then you did DC marathon, and then you realized you had busted knee, and so now yeah. you're in the springtime going. I got busted knee. I'm signed up for this Barkley thing, yeah. Um, and then you uh, have rim to rim to rim, and that was in June. Did you do that? That was in June. Yeah. Yeah. That was in June, and that's when I had a serious talk with Valerie about, hey, maybe this isn't the wisest thing for you to kind of, um, you know, shuffle your way down to the bottom of the Grand Canyon on this bad knee, um, potentially have trouble getting back out. Oh, I thought, uh, I thought you said it wasn't her wisest idea. <laughs> no, 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 it's just usually in my department for, yeah. you know, just foolish ideas yeah. related to adventuring. So, um, yeah, I definitely considered maybe um, – I thought it'd be a great test for Barkley, but it was really independent from it. Um, you know, it was maybe my justification in my mind. Hey, I should definitely do rim to rim to rim because it'll help me know if if I've got the medal to finish Barkley Fall Classic. But really, it was more of an independent thing. Like this is just kind of an adventure of a lifetime sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I did rim to rim successfully, even though it was very very difficult and uh, you know dealt with some nausea and some trouble in 2014. But hey, I'm I'm this much more experienced than. Uh, this much more fit besides this bum knee. I should just go do a double crossing now, right? That's my type of mentality going into this. But I didn't really didn't want to miss the opportunity. Um, and my plan with that was just to kind of, um, I'll run down and, and I'll hike up. And that was really the plan. Mm-hmm. And that ended up being a long day. It was, um, it was an 18-hour day, 45 miles. Um, but it was a magical day. I mean, it was really just kind of one of these, at the time, kind of felt like a life-altering experience because you just have hate. It's the first time I've, I've, I've completed something, I think, from a physical test perspective, where I just said, wow, this is just kind of like an epiphany of just, you know, got lucky. was able to descend into this canyon. You know, you're surrounded by these cliff walls that are hundreds of thousands of years old, millions of years old, and you're just kind of going back into time almost. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're lucky enough to kind of get down and up top in one piece and execute it successfully. And uh, in some sense, that was empowering, saying, hey, what... I mean, how hard can Barkley Fall Classic be? <laughs> yeah, right. Did you do that? You were by yourself, right? I mean, you did this completely solo. Yeah, that was a solo. Yeah. That definitely took some planning. So when you got when you got to the other side, and you 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 go down and you come back up, and now you look and you're like, oh crap, my car's on the other side. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, the, the interesting thing about Dune in June is you don't actually encounter, I mean, as mu- you'll, you'll read a lot about the reports about how many rim runners there are now, folks doing rim to rim to rim. It's gotten pretty popular in trail running circles, but June is definitely not the month of popularity. It's hot. <laughs> um, it just so happened to be when my time window was. It was better than July, by my reasoning, which yeah. is even worse and more extreme. <laughs> um, in You're August, very good uh, at this rationality <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, right? We should Simple. definitely hang out more. <laughs> rationality, we could get ourselves to the moon with our Right. Rationality. <laughs> if your rationale is basically, well, it's better than the worst possible scenario. We're not going to That's... Mars. We're just going to the moon. <laughs> That's pretty much what it comes down to. But uh, so I felt, hey, that that's fairly justifiable. I looked at the weather, and uh, I did um, knowing just that in 2014 when I did this, I got to the other side, and I knew instantly there was no way I could turn around and go back. Like I was done. I was toast. Um, you know, getting to the other side and this adventure, I, I did it faster. I think I was about an hour quicker. And I felt like it was a more controlled pace. But I did get a little, uh, I had kind of a nausea thing going on when I got to the top of the North Rim. It's not super crazy elevation. It's about 8,200 feet. But it's definitely a lot more than, right. you know, Ontario County Park or, like, the biggest elevation point you're going to get around here. Um, so I, I noticed the elevation. Um, there, you know, there's a lot of direct sunlight. Temperature wasn't, wasn't insane. It was about, it was a little over 100 in the Box Canyon portion. But at the rim, the rim, it was probably in the 80s. So that, that's not insane temps, and it's not very humid, but I definitely felt lightheaded and nauseous, and, and I was thinking, hey, you know, maybe I just um, try to find a place to sleep here. And really, don't, mm-hmm. I mean, your options are uh, you can catch a, there's a shuttle yeah. if you happen to prearrange, yeah. or you're able to call, like, your support person, which is which would be Valerie in this case, and arrange a shuttle back. You can do that. That was a bailout option, but I wouldn't have a place to sleep uh, that night on the North Rim because I didn't want to carry all the extra gear required. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a tent and all this stuff, it slows you down. So we either have to spend a night outside <laughs> or just kind of staying awake um, or kind of rest, muster the strength to go back. And uh, that's when I, I ran into another hiker who was doing rim to rim to rim. And he was an experienced guy. He did it. He's actually, it was his fourth trip. I talked to him a little bit. And that's when I realized, um, you know, he, he told me, hey, you got a headlamp? I said, yep. He's like, you know, you'll be fine. <laughs> So I rested up and uh, just got rejuvenated. I think it was just kind of a heat management issue. Got rejuvenated, and then I was, uh, next thing I knew, I was flying back down the North Rim. And I ended up passing him kind of partway down since he, he was just hiking. He was having some trouble in the downhills. We, uh, we actually hiked together for a little bit together. Um, but it was interesting. You don't meet a lot of other runners out there. So if you're doing any type of running, uh, rim to rim to rim, that time of year, people definitely take notice. They want to know where you're going. Yeah. Anyone I would talk to, it said, Hey, like, where's the, I don't, I don't yeah. have to go fetch that crazy dead fool. <laughs> right. You get all this, you actually get a lot of encouragement though. People are like, wow, this is amazing. Like you started yeah. at the South Rim yeah. and you're going back tonight. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll never forget, like I came into Phantom Ranch, which is kind of the, this famous, um, you know, camp near, near the Colorado River, near the bottom of the canyon. Uh, where they actually have overnight lodging, they have a canteen, you can get a steak dinner there. But they had a big party that was actually having a family reunion there. And they were waiting for the dinner bell to ring. So this entire family, like 20 plus people, was assembled outside of Phantom Ranch, waiting to go inside for dinner. And I come stumbling in there. At that point, I'm probably, uh, I might be like 12, 13 hours into this thing. <laughs> I'm back to the Colorado River now. I still got to head back to the South Rim, looking a little haggard, apparently. Yeah. I walk in there and everyone just kind of kind of stops turns around is looking at me and if you see a hiker coming through at that time of day and they're heading the other direction there's only really one destination they'd be going that's back up the rim 
And I was, uh, apparently I was a little disoriented trying to find where the water was. And uh, somebody recognized this and they're like, hey, bud, you looking for the water? It's, it's right behind here. And they, uh, they took my pack off my back. It was kind of like this impromptu aid station. <laughs> nice. Took the pack off, took the bladder out. They filled me up. Um, just really encouraging. Uh, people were just kind of, um, just, you know, kind of delivering so much praise about anyone that would be willing to attempt something like this. And they just gave me that boost, right? Yeah. And then all the way up to South Rim, um, up the Bright Angel Trail, I just the people I ran into were just kind of. Uh, I think one group actually started clapping. It was just like this is this is cool. You don't see that yeah. many people out there, but you just but get this level of do. support. Wow, that's cool. And uh, and at that point, you know, I think I had three hours or four hours of hiking after the sun went down, just coming out of the canyon solo, which that was a pretty memorable experience. I actually, I actually cut the headlamp um, for for a while and just just hiked by moonlight. And then it occurred to me, hey, I'm, I'm in the Grand Canyon. There could be some drop offs here. <laughs> Maybe I should have the headlamp on. As cool as this is, oh, your rationality this, got the best of you yeah, there, right? This I may have to play the safety card here. Uh, and uh, uh, the funny thing though is, at the end of that thing, I finally make it to the top, and I could kind of see the other rim to rim rim hiker was behind me i could see his headlamp he ended up being a couple hours behind me that day um got to the top and as much planning as i do and pride myself in planning and preparation i knew that my car was not at the parking lot where i finished but um i was thinking it was only like a mile away at the lot where i parked turns out it was six miles away Ooh. and it was like midnight it's getting a little bit actually i think it was a little might have been like 10 o'clock at night but basically i'm pretty spent it was 45 miles 18 yeah. hours the prospect of like hiking down a road um, six more miles <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. didn't swing it so i went into a local hotel unfortunately they said hey um or i asked them is there any type of taxi service around here's the grand canyon right i didn't expect an, an answer as to yes but they, they said hey there's one guy there's one guy who drives a cab around the south rim here and uh you know you might have to wait a little while but um we'll give him a call for you and he ended up coming like in an hour picked me up drove me to the car um he gave me a tip. He said, hey, if you're hungry, um, pretty much the only place open here is a McDonald's over in Tucson. And um, uh, you can you can drive over there. You know, it's just 10 minutes outside the park. So I took his advice. I hit that right, McDonald's right up. that McDonald's in. Yeah. Oh, man. Big, I don't think I had a Big Mac like in 20 years prior to that. But for some reason, I was immediately drawn to that. Yep, right. It was just no question. Perfect clarity. I need a Big Mac and a large yep. fry. Yeah. Um, Pain often brings about clarity. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so it's definitely, I think, just the nature of those kinds of adventures where you're really supporting yourself mm-hmm. and you have the chance of ultimate peril if you don't <laughs> yeah. execute it. That, that's definitely a different a different level of seriousness. Yeah, 18 hours in, in the canyon. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, you have to get it done. But it can be done. You know, with, with, yeah. with some planning, with a little bit of luck with the weather, it definitely can be done. Um but little did I yeah, know that a uh, little guy named Jim Walmsley did it in a, yeah. a few hours oh, shorter man. than you did. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty crazy, right? This year, a lot's happened. Yeah. So when I did it, like Rob Carr had the FKT for rim to rim to rim, and he was, um, I think he was low six hours. Yeah. And then Walmsley came, broke six came hours. I think it was September or October, right? Yep. And broke six hours, which is mm-hmm. mind boggling. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, then, yeah. you know, the, the, one, the only thing I mentioned about the canyon that people do have the sense that, hey, this has got to be the most remote place around it's really not though the main corridor trail does have water if you're in season so that can make like fkt attempts and it can make even fast personal attempts um a little bit more logistically feasible 
Because yeah. if the pipeline is flowing, you're going to have some access to water. You don't have to carry it all. Right. Um, so that, in some sense, it, it's a it's a little less remote feeling than even being so, up in the Adirondacks. So what you're saying is next year you'll go in season, and Walmsley better look out. Right? <laughs> that's, that's what you're saying? Uh, it's funny, because I, I actually thought about going into the canyon. Like, should I even should I shoot for any type of time goal at all? And I came to the conclusion that I really shouldn't. Because, no. you know, Jason Vidmar getting an r 2 r r done in 15 hours versus 17 hours, that doesn't really mean anything to me. <laughs> no. if, in my view, if you're, if you're not on the level of, like, a Walmsley or, 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 or a Carrar, I don't know if what's the point of shooting for a time goal. You always right? do it your first time just to finish. <laughs> yeah. That's what they say. That's right. Wow, it's ultra wisdom. And so that's in June. That's in June. Yeah, yeah. And then so cut to September is the Barkley Fall Classic, right? Plenty of time. And <laughs> sure, you're trained up now. You just got a taper. <laughs> um, but you did make a you did make a guest appearance at Twisted Branch, right? I did. Um, that I, I always there's something about Twisted Branch getting down and being around that race in any way, shape, or form. I think is a positive experience. Mm-hmm. I love the experience there. The first year pacing Matt, but also being around there before Matt had had shown up. I volunteered at the start line the first year. Um, I love I love the race. Just haven't decided to run it yet. But yeah. <laughs> I yeah. love the race. And then this year had the honor of pacing Danielle Snyder. Yeah. And Danielle, Danielle put in a hell of a performance yeah. this year. She made me work. She made me work for that pacer, <laughs> that pacer wristband. Let me tell you. I mean, for a second, I thought she might be dropping the pacer. Yeah. I was about ready to say, "Go on, just leave me." Yeah, I'll be okay out here. Yeah, she ended up finishing uh, third female, right? So, yeah, that's a dramatic. You finished uh, at dusk this year, right? That's right. We just yeah. just beat that the, just, the sun officially going down. I yeah. think maybe. Yeah, as opposed to last year with Matt and I shuffling you in, you know, just before 11 p.m. <laughs> but both were awesome experiences. Yeah, you know? I mean, you know, one doesn't compare to the other, but like you said, you worked for this one. Yeah, I really did. Danielle, was she ran a very strong race. Um, it was a year where the heat got to a lot of people. Um, yeah. I mean, it had a big impact. I think the, the woods were just hot that year. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt like it was just an oven in there. And uh, humidity was up. Um, you know, a lot of notable folks were just having trouble that day. Mm-hmm. A lot of drops, I think. I, th- yep. I, I didn't look at the official drop rate to see if it was actually higher overall. It's about, it was about the same amount of finishers, so a little bit higher drop rate. Okay. But the finishers were almost the same from year to year. But yeah. there was a few more people this year. So It just seemed like Danielle really managed the heat very well. <clears throat> Um, she know. came in really strong too. Like, if they would have said, "Oh, this is actually a seventy-mile race," she would have been like, "All right, where's where's the course?" You know. <laughs> well, I was actually even maybe that without race, you, but you know, I, I, you know, I, I don't know. It's just there. I mean, it's, it's interesting the whole safety runner or pacer experience. I, I actually really like it. I mean, I think maybe I could just retire from any race and just be a full-time <laughs> pacer. I think just that see be... the end of every course. <laughs> yeah, that that that's almost ideal. But, well, uh, that that twenty five miles that you run as a pacer is those are hard miles. You, but you do get, in my view, some of the eight miles in Mitchellsville Gorge is some of the best trail yeah. that I've ever run. I mean, oh, it's amazing. It was the first piece of the course I ever stepped on, and when I when uh, Mike Weldon and I ran it, it was like two inches of freshly fallen snow. You're running down the gorge along the creek, but you're you know fifty hundred feet above the creek and you're over that cliff and it was just amazing it's a nice slight downhill so you feel like you can open up and run a little bit and as a pacer you got to run that twice (laughs) without running any of the previous 40 miles (laughs) 
that's a, as I said, optimal position. I yeah. mean, why would you want to do anything besides pace on that course? You know, yeah. it's free. Uh, <laughs> you get to the, see the end. You get to hear everybody clap when you finish. Yeah, and it's and that kind of goes back to when I was thinking about, hey, how did I prepare for Barkley? But I, I do, I kind of have this running theory, more of a hypothesis, I guess, that you could train for pretty much any North American ultra. Um, in or around Naples or on that course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it's got enough, uh, certainly from an East Coast perspective. I mean, the West Coast, you got some altitude things to deal with. So, yeah. you know, if you, assuming you could acclimate to, to altitude, um, I think in terms of the gains and the ruggedness of the terrain, that could prepare you for, for certainly most East Coast ultras mm-hmm. and pretty much most races, I think, across the country. But, yeah, you got some you got some substantial climbs. you got a lot of up and down. Um, you got the humidity to deal with. Yeah. The sustained climbs, too, is what I, I really appreciate. You know, a mile and a half, you know, yeah. at a 7 to 8% grade all the way up. Got that Mount Washington bump yeah. that happens in there. Then you got Mount Washington on the way down. Yeah. So. And I was thinking about that course a lot during Barkley. Like, there were a lot of stretches at Barkley, um, the Barkley Fall Classic course, that really reminded me of uh, Twisted Branch course. Particularly Mount Washington, um, there's sections at Barkley Fall Classic that that seem very similar. So yeah. I'm thinking that you know I'm going going back for another another uh, another shot at Barkley Fall Classic. I'm thinking I might try to do a lot of training. Yeah, <laughs> down you know in and around Naples or even down towards well, Hammondsport. August uh, August nineteenth, twenty seventeen. Is that right? Twenty hour yeah. cutoff. <laughs> <laughs> Tempting. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, you came out of Twisted Branch, 25 miles there. That's about three weeks before Barkley Fall Classic. Your knees healed up. Yeah. You're ready to go, right? Yeah, that's how I felt. I mean, I kind of went into this kind of accelerated training phase where I still I, – I wasn't, I wasn't really running nearly the volume that I had run in 2015. And I think I looked at the year totals. I mean, I ran about 1,200 miles this year total. The previous year, I was up around 1,800. I was just, my volume was just down in general. You know, life just keeps getting a little more complicated. But mm-hmm. for Barkley, my plan was, you know, I have a limited amount of time per week. Maybe I have five to six hours is what I felt I could actually really invest in training to get prepared for Barkley Fall Classic. So my mindset was really, you know, so that, you know, five hours, that's maybe a couple times a week running and then some bigger runs in the weekend. What can I do mm-hmm. in five or six hours to yeah. really get me as ready as possible? for Barkley yeah. Fall Classic, even if it's suboptimal. Mm-hmm. And uh, I kind of came to the conclusion that I was just going to just try to climb as much as possible, yeah. <laughs> whether it be even even treadmill, um, you know, stair climber, um, or out in the local hills just doing repeats. Pretty much any run would just involve some degree of climb. Yeah, you were pretty much doing hills all the time. Yeah, and yeah. I wasn't necessarily racking up. I mean, there's there's some folks that rack up some serious elevation gain. Yeah, yeah. You know, consistent, consistent over time. But but I think what you were doing was you were doing lots of elevation and short bursts. I mean, you yeah. were you were running elevation. Yeah. Which which you know, let's take a little sidebar before we hit fall classic, which is <laughs> the uh, <laughs> the um, the PMP Hill Challenge. Oh right, right. The, <laughs> the uh, brainchild of of one Jason Vidmar here. Um, a lot of people say, let's go, you know, let's go run up a race, uh, run up a hill or whatever. But you put on a um, a double elimination tournament with seating with uh awards um with different classes power meters weight weight <laughs> to speed ratios that's and right you had all sorts of different categories and everybody got slotted and you know they got matched up and paired up based on all these different criteria that you had 
Yeah, it was kind of, um, I mean, really, the, the, the way you described it there, uh, Chris, it does make it sound pretty complex, right? You know what? The way we read it, it sounded pretty complex. <laughs> okay, see, this is this is where in my own mind, right, things seem so simple. Right? Yeah. What could be simpler than a double yeah. elimination random draw? Yeah. Uh, you know, runner versus runner hill tournament, really. Uh-huh. But, uh, yeah, that kind of came about, actually, it was really more on a whim. I think it came out of a Facebook thread. Um, I think it might have even been... Uh, uh, Mike Vallone had uh, gotten some. Strava had errantly awarded him some, uh, you know, King of Mountain CR on some local hill, and it was down. I think it might have been a hell on roots. Mm. And we were kind of talking about, hey, this is guys. This, you know, I did. Strava, you know, gave me a bad time here. That really didn't hit this time. And then uh, I think somewhere out of that thread, it kind of was born the idea of, well, hey, maybe we could forget all this Strava stuff. We should all just get together and actually go run this, run a hill or a couple hills together. And then um, you know, make it make it a challenge. See who can run up. What could be simpler than just saying, "Hey, who can run up this hill the fastest?" Right? We're run up the hill the fastest. Right. That's it. Here's That's, the so so you would think. Here's the starting line. Here's the finishing line. <laughs> uh, how exactly were those starting line and finishing lines constructed, sir? <laughs> how? Uh, yeah, we, we how went, did you actually make sure that your timing was correct? Yeah, well, that was actually a challenge. When I thought about this, um, you know, I thought, "Hey, let's get some friends together for a weekend." And, and, and how do we have a system where you have a runner facing off versus a runner? Like, who do you choose to run versus whom? That was one of the biggest challenges. Um, and originally, I kind of came up with the concept of we should have, like, a, a preliminary round where we all do a time trial mm-hmm. on another hill. And based on those times, that should give us a seating. That mm-hmm. seemed to be complicated. Yeah. Um, so it kind of came up with the idea that a random draw was really a way to go. Yeah. Insert some level of uncertainty. But if you do a random draw and it's a single elimination tournament, you kind of have that bias toward, you know, if you just get a bad seed, if you're the slowest runner going up against the fastest or whatnot, and everyone's just fresh, you know, that might not be fair mm-hmm. to everyone. So double elimination gives you the ability to lose once mm-hmm. and then still make it back in. But so so basically picked um, one of the larger, steeper hills in the area, um, abandoned ski hill, you know, off a of main trail, and uh, set up a start, start line with an old, you know, two by six board that i found in my garage and some some uh, snow reflectors is kind of like the, the the starting line and uh we realized we needed a timing system though <laughs> it's a pretty low budget um fortunately none other than matt bertrand uh volunteered <laughs> to be uh, a timing spotter so picked up a pair of uh two-way radios and yeah. uh basically just had a coordinated stopwatch system where <laughs> ready set go into the two-way radio yeah timer at the top of the hill starts his watch and when you when you hit the giant rock <laughs> hopefully you don't run into it and collide but uh when you hit the giant rock at the top of the hill that's that's when you stop the stopwatch yeah. right yeah um but a lot of time was actually spent into researching stopwatches that week um <laughs> i needed uh much to my wife's uh, dismay instead yeah. of doing chores it was like i need a stopwatch that has the ability to do two times capture two in fast succession and can read them out in fast succession so i can tell you everything you want to know <laughs> about stopwatches man spent and then and then after that you you broke down the results yeah. Uh, you got everybody's weight, you got everybody's age, and you started doing age to weight to power <laughs> ratios. And 
Yeah, we had probably, what, again, 15 different categories of awards. Yeah, the main concept was that because it was kind of a hill challenge, just, just getting up the fastest to me, that, that's only one metric. Yeah. <laughs> time, just how, absolute time. How much are you carrying up the right, hill? Right, right. How much, how much body weight are you taking up the hill? Um, you know, how old are you? There's there's different categories of things that I, that, I, that I find interesting, you know, kind of like mining a data set. Yeah. So we had folks optionally... Um, and again, this is really supposed to be informal, but optionally, you could when you signed up, you, you could put your name and your age in a box, and you could enter your weight. <laughs> there wasn't a scale, but uh, taking people by their word, you could enter your weight. If you entered your weight, you could be considered for a, a most powerful <laughs> male or female award, right? Um, so it wasn't just about the absolute fastest time. It was about, hey, who's, who's carrying, who's doing the most work? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and maybe who's doing the most work over, over age as well. Yeah. And that led to some interesting results, yeah. You kind of had, um, it wasn't a single person that just swept all the awards, right? Right. You had these different categories coming up. But, yeah, that that hill was very steep. That was probably, in the middle part of that hill, it hits a 60% grade mm-hmm. for a small portion. Yeah. So one aspect of that is just with a hill that steep, it does kind of change the nature of the event to just being, it's definitely not an endurance event. No, you're, you're is, doing a little bit of clawing. You're doing a little bit of, you know... Yeah, this is like, you know, how much ATP do you have in your muscles and uh, when is the lactic acid going to completely grind you to a halt sort of event? Especially for that second round, right? Like- yeah. Yeah, and the way, I mean, with the double elimination tournaments, you do have to decide on um, how these events are going to kind of, you know, what, what, what the ordering is going to be. And so I think I followed just a standard, like, FIFA FIFA profile or something yeah. like that for that. But it turns out when you're running, there's not a lot of rest nope. in the losing bracket. So yeah. if you happen to get in the loser's bracket, you may be going back to back. Or <laughs> especially if you go into the later rounds, uh, yeah. the losers got penalized pretty heavily. Yeah. Um, I was able to stay up in the winner's bracket. So I think I had long, long sustained intervals of rest yeah. in between when I had to run the next race. And some very powerful uh, and fit runners um, were pretty taxed. Got to dig yourself out of a hole. When I went up against them. Um, yeah. But but I think just the nature of kind of having a simple event that I turned into a crazy um, you know yeah. metrified yeah exactly who won your who won your event Mr. Maybe go back and look at those results you know <laughs> yeah. check those results um, yeah you're not sure who won yeah. that overall I, I, I think as I recall I, I I made it I made it to the podium you, in that you, event you squeaked, seems, you squeaked it out seems yeah. a little suspicious doesn't it in retrospect <laughs> that the creator 16, of this event <laughs> sixteen different categories. <laughs> But this yeah. one's for me. <laughs> yeah, no one asked to see the die I used, you know, to do the random draw, you know. No, but I think I think it was um it's one of you know, it's very similar to uh to Jeff Green's beer miles and yeah. it's very similar to Trails Rock. You know, like get a couple people together with a with an idea and execute, you know, with the community and see what it turns into, you know. Yeah. So no entry fees, just something no, just fun. And, and speaking of that, I mean, I know that Trails Rock is doing some of that too, right? Yeah. No entry fees races, but actually, yeah, Jeff Green Beer Mile. It was kind of that was de- I definitely took some inspiration yeah. from that class of event, just creating your own kind of backyard um, mm-hmm. informal event, getting people together. Yeah. Um, I did get a little bit of uh, swag for it. I'm not sure if I'll have the budget to do it again, but. <laughs> Uh, I ended up contacting uh, Jamil Curry um, of Run Steep Get High, and also, I think, speaking of Barkley, uh, a big Barkley four, fourth loop finisher, uh, Jamil. I've met him out at Whiteface Sky Races, but anyway, he's the proprietor of this Run Steep Get High brand. Ended up getting some some beanies um, from him 
and awarded those, uh, you know, just to kind of give a little, a little cachet mm-hmm. for, some of, for some of the places. Unexpected and but I didn't know at that cool. time, though, Jamil, uh, he, he, he has definitely some close ties to Barkley, and he's got some crazy training that he does for yeah. that race. Yeah, and uh, I think he's going back again this year, too. So Yeah, I think that's yeah. one of his big, big goals for well, 17. it's going to be fun because uh, Mike Wardian's going back this year, too. So Is he really? Well, Mike yeah. Wardian's going for his first time, sorry. So. Okay, oh, he's, he is doing yeah. Barkley this year. Yep. Yeah. I just heard, actually, that he he was in. Wow. Most a lot of people don't like to say that they're in until like it's right. closer, but you know. So it's going to be weird out there this year. A lot of big names seem to be now drawn to it too. So yeah. So um, another we're like smash cut, smash cut to Barkley <laughs> Fall Classic now. That's all right. So but but you were figuring out these creative things for training, and now you you get done with Twisted Branch. It's time to go down to Tennessee, right? Like, yeah. And and it's you and it's you and the wife going down to Tennessee, little little honeymoon, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> little getaway. <laughs> yeah. Somehow I talked my wife into yet another of a couple's vacation, um, <laughs> revolving around some. You I'm just going to spend some time in the woods. Yeah, masochistic running event. Um, now she was kind enough to be willing to accompany me <laughs> down to Barkley. Um, and, uh, yeah, we dropped off the kids with the grandparents for that weekend. We did, it wasn't the most kid friendly no. <laughs> sort of race sort of environment. Um, and, uh, yeah, Valerie really has never, um, uh, she'd been around Twisted Branch, but she's not really had the experience like crewing an ultra. Mm-hmm. And, um, probably, I mean, in some sense, Barkley's a heck of an initiation. It's actually not a race that's very crew friendly at all. Um, oh, I can't imagine. It's it's unlocked. <laughs> <laughs> right. No pacers allowed. And, I mean, this is a 50K, right? So you wouldn't typically um, – it, it's a 13-hour cutoff, but it's a 50K. So you wouldn't typically see a safety runner in a 50K. That's not a surprise. But it's not really crew-friendly either. Like, the only real – ahead of time, the only crew access point was really via a four-and-a-half-mile hike up a 1,500-foot climb Ugh. and uh, then back down. And so I was thinking, oh, this might not be to have Valerie, like, tote – I don't know, a backpack up there uh-huh. <laughs> for her first introduction in the, no. the Tennessee. Uh, You'd never get it a crew for you, a Twisted Branch. Yeah, that didn't seem. So we when we went down there, our plan was basically, you know, she was like, so so I just basically drop you off at the start line, and then I, I see you at the finish line. <laughs> I was like, unfortunately, that seems to be the catch with this race. Thanks for coming down. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm going to be uh, – I'll, I'll see you hopefully in under 13 hours <laughs> was how we left it. But obviously knowing that she's down there, knowing that you have somebody that's coming down with you and that – you know, someone might be expecting you if you just don't show up. That does help you mentally. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Get through that. Somebody down um, there that knows your name. Yeah, so we went down there, but but even leading up to, and I, I'll use Barkley and Barkley Fall Classic almost interchangeably because it's kind of the same. It's yeah. a similar crowd, but very different races. You know, mm-hmm. the big Barkley is this this insane 130-mile, 60,000-foot elevation gain ultra that only 17 people finished in. 30 years, but the Barkley Fall Classic is, is basically on, on a subset of the same course. But some of the, the key differences are that it's a marked, it's a loosely marked, <laughs> but it is a marked course. So that's a big difference. And there are aid stations. Huge difference. <laughs> you know, Big Barkley, you, there's no aid station when you're out there, yep, as they like to speak. You come back uh, and you make it to the yellow gate, hopefully, and you get your aid. Mm-hmm. Um, so those, are, those might be considered somewhat comforting. It's definitely a contrast to the Big Barkley. But, um, you know, as I, as I came to find out during the race, there's definitely an emphasis on, uh, yeah, lightly marked <laughs> or maybe confusingly marked. Um, and, uh, and the race, the, the race director, you know, Laz and Steve Durbin, 
definitely their goal isn't to isn't to give you just a template. Here's every detail about this race. Here's total planning. That uh, here's a document that can aid in your total planning. They they really want some uncertainty, some variability, some mystique to uh, you know to exist. And uh, you know that's part of the reason why they you know they don't give you the map until the course until you you show up for for race day packet pickup. And so yeah. that's why you didn't know where the aid stations were for Valerie or any. Like, she came down, and yeah. you look, and you go, oh, sorry. Right. That's a good point. I was actually going off 2015 data for that. Technically, we didn't really know where the 2016 right. aid stations would be until we showed up the day before at the VFW Hall in uh, Wartburg, Tennessee, <laughs> for uh, for packet pickup. Wow. Um So that, that was definitely, um, I mean, we were both, it was new experiences for both of us. My first really proper ultra, mm-hmm. and uh, Valerie's first... <laughs> time crewing slash supporting yeah you know someone running an ultra um and uh if you know anything about if you've watched the documentaries you know you might get a sense for it's definitely a small town in wartburg tennessee which is probably the closest town to frozen head state park where the race takes place i mean it's definitely it's a small little town maybe an hour outside of knoxville Mm. um tucked away in um uh you know the cumberland plateau portion of the appalachian mountains and uh but super friendly like the race is really uh people are very aware of the race there um you know the, the, the night before there's there's an old-fashioned spaghetti dinner at the vfw hall um you know oddly enough there are there's some dvds being sold i think they, they got you got to make some profits and support the local community somehow but i i didn't find anything wrong with that i mean i went right up to laz and i was able to get a picture with him i bought a dvd and you know mm-hmm. kind of felt like i met, met a celebrity yeah um, but it definitely has, despite all of that, despite the Netflix effect, it definitely has a very small town. Right. Um, you know, kind of uh, um, not very formal, like a small town kind of informal um, yeah, event. Yeah, even, even with the Netflix effect, you're exposing this to uh, all of the people that will be interested, but that's still not a lot of people. Right, like (laughs) you're you're exposing this extremely small, 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 small niche to a niche. Yeah, you know. So it's not like it's not like you're telling people about this little thing called the Chicago Marathon, and suddenly everybody's like, "Ooh, I'm going to go sign up for that." Right, because not everyone just just because it's on Netflix doesn't mean it's going to all of a sudden, you know, someone's going to watch it. But you probably got a little bit of a crossover audience where some folks maybe only. You know, tangent, tangentially interested in in running or those types of events, mm-hmm. you know, actually watched it. Yeah. So I think you could feel there was a little bit more of a buzz about the event than maybe there had been in previous years due to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but even so, like that during the night of check-in, it felt pretty small, small townish to me. It wasn't. It wasn't a lot of people at the VFW for the spaghetti dinner. Um, you know, I think they had a couple of dinners and a movie night that night. So it felt like there might have only been fifty to sixty people at the hall that night. I was telling Valerie, I mean, we were, we were sitting next to folks, some experienced folks, a couple of, as they call, virgins who hadn't done it before, but it just didn't feel like a super big pre-race environment, and I was wondering, hey, is this, this going to end up being a small race? Did a lot of people drop? I knew there were 400 people signed up, mm-hmm. but you didn't see anywhere near 400 run- runners and crew there that night. Right. So I found that a little bit odd. Um, but the next day, <laughs> the folks came out in full force. Right. Everybody so, showed up. Yeah. So that um now was it does Valerie have like roots or experience down there was there was there other reasons that she was interested in going down <laughs> 
I pretty much, uh, you know, just muscled her into. Yeah, this? I was able like, to talk her into this adventure. Okay. I threw the word adventure out there, Chris. It wasn't, it wasn't but, like she's like, oh, I'm going back down to Tennessee. Yeehaw. <laughs> yeah, I had, um, we, both of us don't really haven't spent a lot of time in the South. I, I, I had spent some time contracting there, you know, down mm-hmm. in Huntsville, Alabama. Okay. And uh, in the Tennessee so, area for a while. So I had some, like, vague familiarity with the yeah. area. But So she's going to send you off to the starting line at the morning, and then she's going to go on her own little adventure while you wander through the woods. Yeah, and that adventure, by the way, you're in kind of this remote little town. In the yeah. middle of nowhere, where there's definitely no star. There's not Starbucks or <laughs> probably an antique shop, right? <laughs> yeah, so we were kind of debating what we do there. And, and Valerie is like Valerie's super supportive of these sorts of things. Like even back when we first started dating, I mean, she's the type of person that'd be out there cheering and supporting all her friends when they were running the Chicago Marathon. Back when I thought endurance running was just dumb, why would you want to do that? Let alone cheer somebody on doing that. So she had no problem with ca- capturing the spirit of being a crew mm-hmm. um, as annoying as I can get to her at times with mm-hmm. <laughs> my pre-age r- rituals and all this but we pretty much decided hey you know hon there's not much you could really do here I don't expect you to hang around the race course and just wait for me for 13 hours why don't you you know see me to the start line and then go um, go right <laughs> go grab some coffee <laughs> she was kind of go right <laughs> go right like W-R-I-T-E right not just turn right and figure out what right, you find right. no W-R-I-T-E right yeah, yeah. Just, just go right see what's down there I don't know <laughs> I mean in some sense neither of us are that used to not being around our kids you know like constantly right so this was like yeah go use um, all this extra time on your hands right those 13 hours you know go go do all those things that you've been wanting to do all year in those 13 hours <laughs> pack those in and then you know meet me back um, hope you get your inspiration real quick <laughs> So that was definitely a different experience for her. I mean, she wanted to find a way to meet me on the course, but it was just, in that short period of time, logistically, a little tricky to do. Um, kind of how we planned it was that the final checkpoint was at a nine-and-a-half-hour cutoff, and I had done all this spreadsheet analysis that said, hey, I should be at the final checkpoint by this time. Now, as foolish as I knew that was, because yeah, I know how these adventures go. It's like if you're up in the Adirondacks, I mean, it's not a question of if, if something's going to go wrong. So, you know, when, when is it going to go wrong? So I knew I really couldn't precisely nail when I'd be at the final checkpoint, but I kind of had to give her a ballpark at least. So we had this plan where I had my cell phone in my drop bag at the final nine and a half hour checkpoint. I would call her when I reached it, whether I was in a full power hike at that mode or not, and let her know, hey, I'm at the final checkpoint. I should be done in two to three hours. And that's how we were going to coordinate it. Right. And the point being that this, like Barkley, there's no electronics allowed on this course. Right. No electronics. I mean, they definitely don't. The main thing is they don't want any GPS. Mm-hmm. That's the main thing. Um, I think you could actually technically bring your phone, but as, I, as far as I understood, in large sections of the course, mm-hmm. I mean, cell reception was definitely That's not no dependable. Yeah. You weren't going to get that. This, this year I heard that he's bought $11 Timex watches for everybody in the race, <laughs> in, the, in the big Barclay. Is that right? That's it. You get this. You only get his watch. That's actually, uh, oh, for the big Barclay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's an awesome idea. I mean, I, you know, for me, that was that was actually a challenging aspect. I'm very data-oriented. Um, I, I don't like to rely on technology because you get out there in some of these, um, you know, backwoods sorts of things, you can't really rely on GPS. Yeah. So I, I wasn't foreign to the concept of not having GPS, but for something as kind of memorable as Barkley, I really I wanted to have that GPX track. Yeah, have the route. Yeah. <laughs> but I decided against even, I mean, I definitely wasn't going to post it or use it. I decided against sneaking a GPS in there and just uh-huh. having it for, like, you know, posterity, yeah. telling my grandchildren about it. And I said, you know what, I don't want to, like, subvert the spirit of this race yeah i'm gonna go with my old school timex mm-hmm. and that was uh 
that that was the plan I had. But that definitely creates. I mean, people that are used to pacing and used to dialing in their times. Uh, you know that, that 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 was a challenge for a lot of folks leading up to it. Well, and and I think that's uh, um, that's in the spirit of the race, as you said. You know. Yeah, it's it's one of the aspects I think that makes it interesting too. Yeah. Not to have this reliance on technology. Yeah. So we hear we hear all about the big Barkley starting with Les lighting a cigarette somewhere randomly between midnight and yeah. sun up. How yeah. does uh, how does uh, Fall Classics start? <laughs> it kind of I mean it was it was a little I mean it was almost anticlimactic in that um, there was a cigarette or some form of lighted uh, instrument being lit. That that comes out right, but there was he, he lit something. I, I, I assume it was a cigarette. We'll just go with that, okay? That was uh, so he did kick off the race that way. Okay. Various theories may exist as to what was actually lit, <laughs> but uh, we'll call it a cigarette. And uh, yeah, I mean, leading up into it, it definitely had it had a big event. As soon as you walked into the uh, the area where all the cars were pulling into, it was just a massive undertaking. I mean, you yeah. can imagine three hundred plus runners, which I, I yeah. think is a big field. For something, you know, kind of as exclusive as Barclay, that's a lot of folks. Well, and Barclay is what a dollar sixty something, right, <laughs> yeah. to register. The Fall Classic, yeah. not so much, right? No, Fall Classic was. I think it was. It was in the range of a more expensive fifty k. I think it was a hundred thirty to hundred fifty. Yeah, bucks sign up, and I think the whole the whole idea behind Barclay Fall Classic, as, as Laz explains it, is really just to be able to create an event that could give a larger. Um, a larger sample set, a taste of Barkley. Yeah, you can't give Barkley to everybody else. Right. And he doesn't want to modify that. I don't see Laz ever really, really ever increasing, as long as he's doing it, increasing the yeah. you know, number of entrants for Big Barkley. We just changed the race fundamentally. Yeah. Um, but this is, a, this is a chance to have people experience, um, you know, kind of all those diabolical things that, <laughs> yeah. you know, he's thought up along with Steve Durbin. And give folks a chance to test themselves. So he 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 purposely wants to have it to be a larger field. Um, you know, a lot of folks say, "Hey, 400 people out on these trails is a lot. Can it really tolerate it?" But they've seemed like they've been able to manage that. Well, because it sounds like these trails don't get a lot of use <laughs> otherwise. A good portion of them don't. So, so, so some of these trails, when you get your map, which he doesn't like you posting the map online either. So okay. a few folks that did race so reports. This, so oftentimes I say things like, this will be in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> this, this will not be in the show notes. But he has a very, uh, Jason has a very nice like cloth handkerchief type of map going on here. That's right. Multifunctional here. Yeah, yeah he is. can blow his nose on his map. Bandana slash handkerchief, um, and it's got the map printed on it, and that, that's what you get the night before. It's got, uh, I think it might be based off one of the proper National Geographic maps around F- Frozen Head Park, but it's got a lot of overlays on it that are custom for the park. But So Laz prefers that you don't post this map explicitly online. Yeah. Now, there's some data out there. If you really want to dig, you can yeah. kind of get a feel. But yeah, you if can, you want to be one of those people. Right? Yeah, I mean, you know, you spend a lot of time doing that. What, is it going to help you finish the race? Probably not. <laughs> well, coming from a guy who excels at spending a lot of time doing those types of things. Yeah, well, good good point. But uh, one thing, I, I didn't realize how handy, the map does come in handy during the race. Because oh, yeah. even though this is a marked course, um, what you end up finding out during this event is that course markings have a way of mysteriously turning around the other direction mm. or just disappearing entirely. Mm. And having some knowledge of, um, of, of the general directions 
that the course follows. Um, and being able to read this map actually did come in handy at least two times. That is a super cool map, actually. I, I love that it's printed on the cloth like that. And yeah. you just can kind of, you know, because you can just bunch it up, throw it in your pocket, and move on with life, right? Yeah. And yeah, you can it's multifunctional, as I said, yeah. you know. And I had this thing out, you know, perched over my leg a couple of times in the course, trying <laughs> to make heads or tails of where I was. You were you were sitting on the ground at these points in time, right? <laughs> yeah, I think I can't remember if that was by my own volition or not. I may have not been when I was when I was sitting down. I said, "Hey, you know, I'm I basically can't move. I might as well read the map now." Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it did come in handy, and it, it turns out that the biggest the biggest currency at Barkley is really or Barkley Fall Classic is really just um, talking to veterans. Mm-hmm. and getting their experience of what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you do get lost, it's probably just as effective to try to find your nearest running neighbor and find out if they have any experience on the course and might know the general direction and then try to make try to make some judgment of whether that is it going to be accurate information or not versus just right. trying to go it alone. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, one critical point, for instance, there was uh, there was a trail marker turned around actually pointing the other direction. And uh, required runners to say, hey, something doesn't feel right here, <laughs> as opposed to running down a road for another three miles um, and then turning around and, and making a gut decision on the course. So this is out in the absolute middle of nowhere, I mean, for the most part, right? There's some property owners. Do, <laughs> do you feel like this is like a racer that would do these types of things? I mean, when we have yeah. this kind of stuff going on in Menden or going on in Twisted Branch, it's like a local passing by sees a bunch of flags, decides to mess around with them. Yeah, I don't know how that happened. I mean, part of me yeah. wonders, hey, did 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 the crew, kind of did the race staff do this Just potentially? nail it upside Just, down accidentally or something? Yeah, because you got to be prepared for the unexpected out there. They definitely don't want you blindly following, um, just following race markers. Mm-hmm. Even even though this is, you know, build is kind of a marked course, I don't think that's, they, they want to throw a little something at you. I wouldn't be surprised. I, I doubt it was the race director who did it, but, um, you know, maybe someone familiar with the race, <laughs> did i think in this case actually the it may have been actually laying on the ground a couple of these markers and, and they seem to be pointing the other direction yeah but yeah it is private property um yeah. so i don't know maybe, maybe there's some folks that don't like all these uh you know this 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 new newfangled race happening on the maybe. property or maybe they just want to add to the challenge i think that could be a part <laughs> of it so you know going into this race you definitely you, you don't really have much grounds to complain to the rd for anything that's kind mm-hmm. of the thing there's going to be stuff that's going to happen he makes a point of saying you know what if it goes wrong deal with it yeah he's you know? got i mean the whole facebook page for the race it's kind of funny it's definitely it's not um it's definitely a lot of sarcasm on the page a lot of don't take yourself too seriously he'll have a couple of posts that will say hey if you expect anything more than slim jims and some uh, cheap energy drink at your aid stations, you better bring your own food because mm-hmm. that's what you got. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is not a race that's going to cater to any type of, um, you know, special dietary requirements or aid yeah. requirements. <laughs> These salt potatoes vegan. <laughs> yeah. I, he's kind of like, if you need anything that specific, then um, you know, you're probably not going to be successful yeah. in this race anyway. Yeah. But there are folks that are kind of elite or <coughs> sub-elite. Um, Jason Lance won this race. You know, Lance also won Twisted Branch mm-hmm. last year. Um, he's definitely regionally. He's one of the top regional. Finished second at Hellgate this year. Did he finish second this year? Yep. And I think he had won. Did he win the previous year? Or was uh, he also second? No, was, uh, I don't think he won last year. But he won. He finished second this year to, um, uh, do I just um Brian? Oh, I just, um, just lost the last name. Rusecki or yeah, Brian Rusecki. Yeah. Why did this last name? I don't know why. I was giving him some Greek name for a second. <laughs> Um, yeah, so Jason Lance finished second at 
Hellgate. So he's got he had a Twisted Branch win, yeah. Barkley Fall Classic, second at at Hellgate. Twisted so, Branch you know. course record too. Yep. I think that he set. Yeah, we'll can we'll contend that the course was a little bit shorter this year than last year. <laughs> That's what the GPS seems <laughs> to say, right? <laughs> yeah. But anyways, yeah, yeah. So some serious people come out and run this thing. Yeah, you definitely get like the I, I would say like the regional the regional elites um, will come out. Um, Scott Breeden, who was the previous year's winner, um, has won a lot of races on the East Coast. Here, he finished second this year. I think I saw that Dave Riddle signed up for the Fall Classic next year. Um, you know, he's kind of a, he's a pro ultra runner. So you know, you get folks that are definitely you know in it in it to win. Yeah, and it's a <laughs> it's a hard fifty k. So maybe they're thinking the same thing. Like this is a precursor for this other race. You know, like they could be when you look at the total stats on it i mean i was looking at so ron ron herkins he uh he created a handy spreadsheet a while ago um it was kind of a he kind of had this documented spreadsheet going of a list of uh elevation gain and distance for some prominent 50k yeah i really like i really like that spreadsheet yeah i I think it's interesting to look at but if you look at where the barkley for a 50k i'd say the fall classic definitely you know has some pretty serious chops it's got no one really knows right chris that's the thing but it's probably by most past Strava metrics, and if you if you really study this elevation map and start adding up the contour lines, mm-hmm. you're probably going to arrive at between 10 to 12k of elevation gain. For 50k, right? 50k, and that's to me. Anytime you start getting near the 10k number, that's big. It's it's serious enough. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about Twisted Branch and Hellgate are around 10k, and that's a 100k race. So right. So you're really compressed. You're compressing mm-hmm. this into, um, you know, a supposedly a 50k. And you know, Laz will joke. He'll say, um, "Yeah, I, I've measured this course with a with a steel drum. It's exactly uh, 50k, 50 yeah. kilometers in distance." No, no one really believes this. Most yeah. folks will come up with around 35 miles, 36 miles, but mm-hmm. still, it's in the 50k-ish range. Right. And so he has a thing where you can finish the marathon, right, and then. In order to get the actual finish, you go up and down another climb, right? Yeah. So he has, like, there's distance X, but the real race is distance Y and back down. Yeah. He did add, he added an optional, quote-unquote, optional marathon finish. Mm -hmm. And I think that was not available the first year. He added it in 2015. He retained it for 2016. That allows you to get to the official 22.3 miles or so. Most folks will claim it's probably close to a 25, 26 and still have some semblance of a finish mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if you can't make the cut and get to the 50K mark. But right. I think in the whole community overall, even though I think there might have been one or two people that expressly went out with the goal of just doing the marathon, really anything less than a 50K finish is not deemed as, is deemed as a failure. I mean, that's yeah. kind of the stark reality of the of the Barkley um yeah, Just I mean, you stopped, you stopped at finish line junior. Yeah. You know, right. Like there is was this, more to do and you didn't do it. Is this what you want, this little dog tag, or do you want this sweet-looking, yeah. you know, Croy de Bark, you know, medal? <laughs> you know, you choose. Yeah. But, you know, I'm not really one to, even the, the medals or awards don't matter as much. It's really kind of go back to my philosophy of, you know, you dive into an experience, you prepare as well as you can, the time you have, and... Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think at that point you have your own definition of success versus failure. Yeah. But definitely um, the, the, the cutoffs start becoming more prominent in your mind <laughs> yeah. as you're going through this course. Right. And so, you know, the highlight from my race, from your race report, again, for me is, so there you are, laying on a side of rat trough <laughs> and a pile yeah. of briars, puking, having the time of your life. 
Yeah, that was pretty much it. That was the moment when I said, here's what I came for, what we talked about at the beginning. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm throwing up um, on the side of this crazy hill. Yeah, yeah literally in a, what I call a pricker bush. Yeah, it's called sawbriars down there. I mean, there's some big thorny things that aren't comfortable to lay on. <laughs> yeah, and, you couldn't uh, figure out how to get up. <laughs> there had been rattlesnake sightings on the course earlier, earlier in the day. Yeah. So back in my mind is like, am I going to be, you know, lying on top of a, you know, a bed of snakes here or something like that? But that's the least of your worries at that point. No, and just yeah, losing my lunch, my breakfast, yeah, whatever else I'd eaten for the past 24 <laughs> hours, and thinking. Okay, I'm nowhere even close to finish with this thing yet. So. Yeah. So, and that's that's pretty early. I mean, not yeah. pretty early on in the race, but that's like not halfway, right? I think it, well, at that point, Ratshaw is is past the halfway point. I think at that point, I was probably um, the prison happens at at mile seventeen, mm-hmm. and Ratshaw comes after the prison. Right. So, so how <laughs> we is could the, talk about the so how is the prison? Yeah, because. It looks pretty interesting going through like the drainage ditch, you know, like. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that was I mean, honestly when I first and and I'll kind of jump around to the things here, but the, you know the names of sections on this course are always pretty fascinating, right? Yeah, yeah testicle they're spectacle. They're great names. Meth lab hill, um, the prison, rat jaw. I mean, th- these are pretty sweet. Yeah. But I did think when I first thought, hey, part of this course actually goes through the really the real brushy mountain state penitentiary, which is now defunct. I thought that was a little bit. Um, I don't know. I, it just didn't. It seemed a little bit inorganic to me. It's like this is kind of a gimmick, right? We're gonna run yeah. through the. We're gonna run through the prison, take a picture with the old uh, correction officer or something like that. Yeah, but right. when the moment actually happened, I thought this is unbelievably sweet. Wow. I mean, this is cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, even though I feel like I'm dying right now <laughs> due to terrible race management. <laughs> um, you know, this is pretty cool to actually walk through like Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary. And then to so, actually uh, go through the prison tunnel that James Earl Ray used to escape. Yeah, so I was going to say, you go through the prison, like you're on the prison grounds, like in the courtyard, yeah, right? you walk in the front door of this prison. Yeah. This, the front door is open, you walk in, you walk through the administration area, uh, back through the holding cells. Yeah. Um, apparently, I don't know if the actual cell where James Earl Ray was held um, was visible in that block. But it, it's got a spooky feeling to it. It's not totally yeah. decrepit. It's actually pretty well maintained. Yeah. And, um, and do you think, like, do you think those that are racing, do you think they run through it? Or do you think they actually stop and kind of walk through it and take it in, too? A lot of us were stopping, and, and people were taking pictures either with their cell phone or with their GoPro or whatever. I think folks were taking it in. Now, maybe if you're, I mean, I can't speak for Jason Lance or the leaders. Yeah. Um, I think, as I understand, Lance and Breeden had a really tight race up front. Yeah. We're running within minutes of each other for most of the race. So they're booking it. I, I don't know. They're doing the yeah. James Earl Ray through this prison. <laughs> yeah, he might not have been saying, hey, Scott, you can you stop, get a get a picture of me here? I'm going to stand behind stop. these bars real quick. <laughs> right, he wanted the win. But I think for the majority of the runners, um, when you get there and you arrive at that moment, especially after kind of getting beaten down for 17 miles, um, it, it's, it's just an interesting aspect of the course. Mm-hmm. And uh, and another aspect that I thought was going to be super gimmicky at first was actually um, going into a pretty dark tunnel where mm-hmm. um, there's no lighting in there. You can just barely make out a little bit light at the end of the tunnel, but it was dark enough where you weren't sure where you were stepping or what mm-hmm. you were stepping on. So if, I think if for folks that were claustro- are claustrophobic or scared of uh, you know being enclosed in a long dark tunnel, this could be a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe bring a flashlight. I didn't yeah. think about bringing a flashlight. That was a cool portion and they also had us at the after the tunnel they have you scale a ladder going over the prison walls um wow. so my cramping legs um you know climbing <laughs> up this ladder were actually much more difficult than um than i anticipated wow 
Uh, so I, I think all those elements just, you know, it's, it's almost, it's kind of like Disneyland for ultra runners I mean, at this point. I mean, you're getting horribly beaten down, yeah. most of the folks, into Death March. But it is kind of, have it's got like a, it's got a Disneyland feel to it for, in, my, in my strange, my strange right. way of viewing it. Yeah, like some sort um. of psychotic Disneyland. <laughs> yeah, right. This isn't your, uh, your parents' Disneyland, that's for sure. Mickey and Minnie um. with a hatchet, like, so... So, like you yeah. said, you thought that that was going to be inorganic and like taking a little tour of the prison, but yeah, you're you're running and you're like you've just mm-hmm. been running through the mountains and through all this stuff, and then you're you come upon this you know giant stone structure, yeah, and, I, and you walk, who how many people have walked into the front gates of a prison, right? So like you have to be a little bit wowed by it. Yeah, and it's um it's one of those really intimidating looking, imposing you know, 1950s era penitentiaries. Mm-hmm. I mean, it looks legit. It looks like a place you wouldn't want to be, you know, walking around by yourself. Right. Wasn't it like they have, they have like big um, marble like etchings and they got a bunch of sayings over it about doing wrong and all that. And yeah. Yeah. There's a few, there's a few cautionary phrases, I think, yeah. um, you know, etched on the building mm-hmm. and it's just got that old real, you know, kind of, I don't know, industrial era, you know, fifties yeah. era look to it. Yeah. Um, and I, I just thought it was really cool. And I mean, the way they time it is that, yeah, if you get to that point, pretty much the worst is the worst is yet to come. I mean, everyone <laughs> knows that. You make it to the prison if you're if you're hurting, yeah. you're in for a lot more pain because this infamous Rat Jaw Hill, uh, you know, comes immediately after. And yeah. and my race kind of just getting to the why I was in so much pain at that point. It really came down to I think typical race management stuff, not necessarily Barkley specific. Uh, goes back to even me saying that i think you could train for this race down in naples i think um elevation wise i felt okay but it was very very hot that day you know twisted branch mm-hmm. kind of hot and humid one thing about racing in, in the south is it gets extremely humid and yeah. this was late september and it was like an oven yeah you're sweating before you're starting and that's where the difference between doing an adventure at the grand canyon which which by the way didn't really have any humidity factor <laughs> yeah dry heat but, dry heat right had the potential to die factor was a little higher, but it was a dry heat um, versus trying to race and really being kind of amped up to kind of perform in a really human environment. You know, me having maybe a little bit more experience in racing in, in those environments, I might've been a little bit more on top of my management. I had, a, I had what I thought was a pretty ironclad fuel management plan. It, <laughs> it went up in smoke. But ironclad. You could tell how, you know, when I got to the, for the first climb after one hour into that race, I was drenched just absolutely drenched and i knew that you know i felt like i was sweating a lot more than normal it was just hot um and one of the, the evil things about barkley fall classic and barkley in general is that you know you want to shed as much layers as possible because it's hot but you're also going to be running through these rumored briar patches and just getting your flesh torn to pieces and so you'll literally see people like in full overalls and uh worker gloves and wow. people that stuff stuff in their backpacks they don't right. want to get torn to shreds so you kind of you're balancing between I need to carry my gloves I need arm sleeves um, for when I go through this crazy pricker butch thing, but it's going to be hot. <laughs> I don't want to have that much clothing normally. Right. I, I think in reality, new, I see a new line of clothing coming out. Ke- yeah. A wickable Kevlar. Wickable Kevlar. <laughs> that would be almost ideal for this race. Yeah. You know, you know what I think it comes down to. There's like we talk about here on a course that has mud. You know, you run through the mud, run through the water. You know, I think at this course, if you're going to do it, forget about all this protective stuff. Mm-hmm. When I do it this 
when I do it, you know, I'm signed up for this year, it's going to be about just, just going through those things. Just run. Yeah, you'll heal yeah. up. Just try it. Yeah, you can't worry about that. I mean, water loss or blood loss, which one is more important in an ultra? <laughs> right, as long as you don't nick an artery or something like that, right? Yeah. You'll be, be all right. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that was part of it, though. You know, you're, you're kind of, I, I had geared up with, uh, I think I had some calf sleeves on. I carried some optional arm sleeves. Just I had gloves to get through some of these nasty power line cuts. But the humidity of the day really, really caused my core temp to go up drastically. And a lot of people struggle with this. And yeah. um, I talked to Dan Lapata about it, actually, at one of these events we saw. He almost instantly knew what my problem was during that race. He's like, you got to keep your core, you know, lower temp, dump water over your head. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just about hydration. you got to, like, get yourself cool. And he was, he was, you know, he's dead right about that. Like, I think a really effective way to do that in those environments would be you've got to cool down each aid station. Find yeah. some water in your handheld, dump yeah. it over your head a couple times. Have to take a few minutes to, to chill out. Because when you when the core temp goes up, just everything kind of goes out the roof. Digestion doesn't start happening. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're not also because of the humidity, you're not really exchanging any heat from your body. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're not producing sweat anymore. So that just causes that nausea. And this is more just classic, I think, um, extreme ultra type stuff than it is anything Barclay specific, right? Yeah. Except for the Barclay, the Barclay <laughs> piece is those added elements of the unknown. You have no way to practice the course, so you have no way what's coming up next. Right. You don't know where you are, so you can't take comfort in you're this far away. You know, that the Barkley stuff, uh, as much as it's physical, you know, obviously rat draw is physical, and I've not been there, so I'm not, yeah. not saying anything negative about the physical elements, but as much as it's physical, ultras are a lot of psychological. Right. And that great unknown at Barkley, over-preparing, wearing overalls. Yeah. How smart is it really <laughs> to wear overalls, right? That's right. Barkley, right? Right. Like, it, gets inside, not, it gets inside your head. Yeah. You're not known to, like... um overly prepare with clothes you know but here you are like i got optional arm sleeves right you know for no good reason other than this is Barkley. i feel like i should bring these with me it, it does get inside your head a little bit and i think part of it you got to think about anytime you do an extreme event this is my this is my theory on venturing too sometimes you have to do that trial a trial adventure mm-hmm. you got to get out there of course you got to experience some of it to really be able to optimize your performance and Sometimes you might have that great day. If you're in great shape, you might be able to power through the uncertainty. But it definitely um, taught me a pretty harsh lesson. And, and the two, probably the, the most unique aspect of Barkley Fall Classic um, is, is the power line cuts. They have these two signature, it may be three, um, climbs that go up and down the sides of mountains where you know power line towers and power lines run. And it's this real just super exposed to the heat and the sun, you know, high pitch, top slowly, you know, you can't really get any grip or footing, extreme grade sorts of climbs. And that's that's what really breaks you down. If you can survive the power line cuts, that's really what, I mean, you can survive anything the course can throw at you. Right. But when I had gotten to the first power line cut, which is um, infamously called testicle spectacle, um, and that was before the prison, that was only a mile checking my notes here i think that might have only been at mile 13 uh i was about four hours into the race at that point and that's when i first i first started feeling my leg cramps you know four hours in not a good sign and uh they kind of um yeah what they have they do they have you go down the power line cut first and testicle spectacle i think it's only 800 foot drop not the craziest drop you could train on mount washington right but it's no footing. It's briar patches. You're, you're, you're sliding down on your rear for a lot of it. 
because um, even though there's not like huge drops, not like you're seeing a hundred foot drops or you're going to fall off a cliff like you're in the Adirondacks, it's just terrible footing. <laughs> yeah. And people are fanning out to the woods. They're trying to go different routes. There's really no, there's just kind of a general direction of how to get down this thing. <laughs> so do you think, so when you say that, like I think of a lot of times of like beginning trail runners running around a puddle, you know, because they don't want to get their feet wet. Or I think of like people um, taking the flat part of the trail instead of the rocky part of the trail. Yeah. Do you think a lot of that is like first timers looking for the easiest way to be comfortable on the course instead of like just just gonna go down this damn thing? I think there's some of that. I think folks that are really fanning out really far into the woods to try to find ways around tough spots in the course is pretty much the equivalent of that you know going around a puddle or something like yeah. that the trail i think the best route is to just get you know there's the most direct route get through even it. if it's going to cause a little pain now now apparently the, the briar patches were kind of cut back a little bit this year by the power company mm. and in previous years they were really you know really ripping at you so the mm-hmm. folks that i was i was pretty torn up in my meetings after barkley i noticed all the uh, cuts on my arms and legs and face but uh um, apparently that was nothing compared to previous years, but but I I do think the best approach is just to just to get down that thing and barrel through it. I mean I wouldn't recommend going straight through like you know ten twenty feet of a yeah. big briar patch. You might want to yeah. try to go around that, but yeah. getting too creative or getting too fancy with how you yeah. get down this thing, I, I think at the end of the day it's just going to cost you more time and it, and it might introduce you to a rattlesnake or two. Yeah, so. or or a, a ditch and a rock or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think what's so evil about the way this is constructed is they have you go down testicle spectacle first. And this is right around the time where the course markings were all screwed up, so we lost some time just looking at the map and figuring out where this thing was. Once you find it, you're going down first, and so you know as you're descending and descending and descending, you're going to have to come straight back up it as soon as you hit the aid station at the bottom of this thing. That's how they design it. So also at this point in the course, for me it was about 11 a.m. It was about uh, four hours in think yeah five hours in when i got to the top you start seeing two-way traffic for the first time too the the you know the leaders who had already gotten down to that aid station at the bottom of the testicle they're coming mm-hmm. back up so you're getting the first indication of how far behind you are <laughs> um and secondly you're realizing man i'm having so much trouble going down what's this thing going to be like going up yeah i'm at the top of the testicles there's no way i want to be down <laughs> at the bottom of the testicles <laughs> it's not a good spot <laughs> So that was Taint the right place to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, um, not not good at all. No. So, all right. So, but you made it through testicle spectacle. <laughs> <laughs> I made it through. That's where I, I knew I was in, in trouble at that point and for a long day. When you start cramping going down, yeah. I, I knew that to be to have any type of explosiveness on the way up. Yeah. Like my day was pretty much going to be different from that point out. Yeah. I was going to have to find some way to climb up this thing. But uh, I remember I just <clears throat> I immediately slammed some beef jerkies at the bottom. Um, I, was I, slim I was thinking I was snapped right yeah, slim into gyms, them. Actually, I, I, I think I was low in sodium. Yeah. Snapped right into them. <laughs> right. Oh Randy, yeah. Randy Savage. Oh yeah. <laughs> so that that seemed appealing to me. A bunch of those. Um, yeah. that, that should help with the na- nausea, right? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and then a bunch of this um, uh, power drink I'd never tasted before. I think it was called. Uh, a blaze i think it was uh you know it was kind of like a propel like a gatorade like drink yeah again you don't necessarily want to try new food for the first time uh, well, but that's what you got right it, slim jims and blaze <laughs> that's what you go with um and that kind of uh I, I was taking some gopro film 
during this, and yeah. uh, I was looking back at some of my film, and I was still mostly positive on film. I said, well, hurting a little bit, you know, haven't urinated yet, it's been five hours, but um, I think I'll be all right. <laughs> but little did I, uh, you know, little did I know, I mean, it's about high noon setting at that point, and the climb back up testicle, and when you talk about an 800-foot gain, you know, that, that's something we see around here all the time, but that was just, it was very arduous getting up this power line cut, grabbing under, you know, grabbing under roots, grabbing onto briars, <laughs> just doing a lot of face first type of stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's not, and that's the little one, right? That's, right. that's the, that's the little baby uh, sibling of rat job. Yeah. That's the wake up call, right? So, you know, you're all in at that point and there's really no option for, I guess you could, you might be able to get off the course at that point, but as Laz says, there's only really a few, few spots you can actually drop. So you really need to be prepared. I mean, dropping really wasn't in my mentality, but it was kind of like, whether you want to drop or not, that the easiest way to get off this course is to get toward, get up Rat John towards the next aid station. So, um, you know, I knew I was kind of in, in it no matter what at that point. Um, but, uh, yeah, definitely, uh, I think at the top of the testicle, that's where I actually stopped and took some, some cramp medication that I had. Yeah. I think I was, I think this was like something where you actually rub it on your legs. Huh. And I, I remember somebody came by and said, how's all that rubbing going or something like that? You know, there's, there's a lot of joking and stuff going on. <laughs> is that working out for you? <laughs> Should I try it? <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, I'm thinking, this is probably pretty silly. This is going to help me get through this thing. I still got another. No, I mean, know. maybe it's so hot out. Maybe some biofreeze would help, you know? <laughs> so I came, I came to find out after the fact that, you know, I, I, I was up there pretty far along um, in, in the race, enough where I had enough padding to get to the final aid station cutoff, but I guess about an hour behind me or 30 minutes behind me, folks had ran into a massive yellow jacket nest. And wow. there were a few people that had actually were stung upwards of 70 times wow. by bees on this course. And I think maybe it was 10 plus people that incurred some form of sting. So there was just all types of, you know, strange, unpredictable events happening on yeah, this. Laz, Laz can make some things happen, huh? Right. Did he plant that nest? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Diabolical. <laughs> so when you when you do get up testicle spectacle back up that thing, you're greeted with Meth Lab Hill. Okay. And uh, you know another kind of iconic hill that, that's part of the Big Barkley. And uh, I'm not. I can't remember what the derivation of that name was. I'm guessing someone once had a lab there, or, or it looks like or, they should, or it looks like a little shack or something up there somewhere or something. Yeah, it's looking pretty desolate, and that, that I didn't find that terrain nearly as tough as testicle. It's kind of another power line type of cut. But you descend into the woods, and um, you know at one point you actually end up out on paved road after this meth lab hill. And uh, I was kind of oscillating between walking and running at that point. Um, the death march started setting in. People around me would oscillate between running and walking. You'd randomly hear someone start heaving. A lot of people were struggling with this, this heat-induced nausea aspect. Um, but they, it was kind of surprising to hit this stretch of pavement, right? There were actually even a few houses around. But I guess this is kind of this really, um, you know, kind of out there private road that happens to intersect part of the course. You normally can't run on that, but uh, they permitted it for this race, and that leads you right into the prison. So, you know, you go from testicle spectacle, suffer fest, down Meth Lab Hill, you're into the prison. You get through that. Things are actually looking up somewhat at that point. You know, this is this is <laughs> I'm cool. in the middle of a prison. There's beds here. I can <laughs> right. lay down. There's shade. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> things are looking up. This shouldn't be a problem at all, right? And you, you go through your tunnel. Um, you climb over the prison wall to model James Earl Ray's escape, which you know again seemed gimmicky ahead of the race, but seemed really cool while yeah. I was doing it. 
and then you're greeted with um, just the real the signature climb of the whole course, Rat Jaw. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I just kept uh, thinking, go this. back, turn around, go back to prison. <laughs> yes. What, <laughs> what are the options at this point? Could you bail at the prison? And, and part of me always thought about, I mean, you know, thinking about the climb, it, it's a roughly two thousand foot climb. That in and of itself isn't insane. You can find climbs of that type of magnitude out in the Adirondacks. You can get close to it up in the Catskills. Like that that Dick's Range winter climb. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so just looking at it from a perspective of climb, when I looked at it, I, I said this, this can't be that bad. But to be at that point in the race, just past high noon, um, to have no propulsion left and be dealing with this nausea yeah. and this heat-induced... <laughs> heat induced uh coma like state it was, it was bad it was bad timing yeah you don't sound like you're having very much fun at this point now oh no there you know it was it was uh it was in the it was shades of gray shades of gray like, at well, this like, point yeah maybe your eyes are having fun for what they're seeing but you know then there's you sound like it's kind of like uh uh, oh, it yeah, does I am like, smiling when I talk about this. Yeah, though, right? I mean, so you're, is, you've got yeah. great fond memories, but it sounds like you're kind of like, <laughs> do you realize how ridiculous this is? Yeah, and I think my error was that, I mean, just in looking at the course data, you know, 2,000-foot climb, that's not that's not scary in and of itself. But mm-hmm. the way it's placed and the nature of this climb being the mother of all power line cut climbs yeah, with just, you know, again, a lot of exposure to the sun, really no shade, briar patches everywhere, mm-hmm. topsoil. And and like oh man and and the stuff that seems to grow in power lines, in power line cuts. What is that all about? Like, <laughs> it's it's like stuff that you wouldn't find in the yeah. woods right on either side of that power line cut. Like, yeah, some alien stuff. Yeah, going on <laughs> like know. twists and turns and tangles and yeah, I don't understand that. You yeah. see, like you're in the woods and you're like, oh, there's a nice clearing, and it's like devil's playland over there. <laughs> Yeah, you do see some concerning things, like just some unnatural things going on. Yeah, uh, I'm not. Sure, I'm not sure what happens there. If it's something with uh, they're putting some special fertilizer in that hill, or it's what? It's just like those those seeds are exposed to a little bit of light, whereas like if they were in the shade, they wouldn't have grown, you know, or something. I don't know. But yeah, power line cuts seem to be have a uh, a uh, especially violent type of flora. Oh, yeah, they're just wild. They're they're much more wild than you yeah. expect. You know, you yep. wouldn't think like a maintained power line by, by a co- grassland power cut company that someone had to cut that. That should be nothing compared to something out in the Dax. Should be grassland, but it's just it's very foreign type of mm-hmm. surface. And I, and I think honestly, I think if you were in uh, if a runner was just hitting that that spot in the race, um, in command of the race, you know, not dealing with you know, kind of a heat exhaustion or or, or a heat issue. Or a fueling issue, I think. I think you can power up that pretty consistently. You power hike up that, you make it through, and, and it's probably not the worst thing in the world. Yeah, but well, all it takes is one of those briars to grab a hold of your calf, <laughs> and suddenly your your pace is a little uh, slowed. Well, I call it the Walking Dead because even when I look back at the video, you know, we we were moving at a snail's pace. It actually, I, I can't even conceive of how it took this long. But I went back and I looked at the timestamps in the GoPro footage. Oh yeah, like when I go. hit. <laughs> Ratchet at the bottom uh, versus when I did my video at the top. And actually, to go 1.2 miles, it took me an hour and 45 minutes. Wow. And this was just an absolute, I mean, it was a crawl. Wow. A crawl. Yeah, but some, but there was a little nap you took in the middle of Ratchet. Right? Yeah, there was some uh, involuntary <laughs> nap. Um, uh, we, we I caught some footage on the GoPro. We're just all sitting around, about 15 of us, just all looking like. We need to be, let, you know, write our last rights. Just sitting in like full open exposure on the sun, and 
saying, hey, we're almost there yet. <laughs> and Radshaw it had all these false, little false summits, too. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you've ever been in the Adirondacks and, uh, you know, like if, you, if you're climbing up Haystack, you know, there's a little Haystack, you know, mm-hmm. in front of it. Well, you've been up the Adirondacks. I can't yeah. remember if you've done that before. But, you know, you, you hit... It's not even a false summit. It's a summit. You, you think you're hitting the big haystack. Oh, it's just a little haystack, or it's a false summit. Mm-hmm. This was kind of how Ratchet was, where you kept, it wasn't a straight line up. The cut would take a few twists and turns. It seemed like the top was just around the bend. Those are where you get your views. Yeah. Where you get the this stunning, the, the stunning views. <laughs> I mean, you, it's hard to even imagine how it could ever possibly take that long to go 1.2 miles. And mm. maybe it's 1.5. It's yeah, somewhere in that range. 45. Wow. But you realize that when you're, when I go back and look at the video, I'm hiking basically, you know, I, I was getting to a count of 15 before I had to stop and rest just due to wanting to hurl or wow. <laughs> feeling like I was going to pass out. So you, yeah, wow. I would count to 10, count to 15. I got to 30 once. And you start thinking, this is really, this, this, the test is on. Wow. This is where you're testing yourself. This isn't about running. This isn't about adventuring. This is just about literally propelling your body yeah. up this godforsaken power line. Getting up and going cut. again. Getting up and going again. Yeah, and you start tapping into what, what you know, will is. And uh, mm-hmm. you, know, you start trying to tap into secret energy stores. Or <laughs> you, you, dig, you dig down deep in your solar plexus, right? And like Macho Man Savage. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. You gotta, you gotta that's fight. how I always envisioned it happened, right? <laughs> <laughs> Turns out that Randy's Randy Machaman Savage has a lot of tie-ins to this sort of thing, yeah. you know? Um, but no, you gotta like it. It is as you said. You might have gotten in it for running, then you got in it for adventuring. Yeah. Now you're in it to make it out. Yeah. And, like, what kind of decisions you make when you're trying to make it out are much different than you thought you were going to make at the beginning. Definitely. And you think about your options, too. You're halfway up this cut. You could walk back down to the prison. Um, or you're already halfway up. You might as well see if you can keep going. Um, one thing that was interesting about the course, though, is there wasn't, like, a huge amount of EMT staff around. Um, I mean, I didn't want to reach a point where I was actually, like, pushing myself to the brink. I, mm-hmm. I didn't think I was going to be there. But I remember there was a... A post that went on the Facebook page, it was like, hey, are there any EMTs or people with medical training in the running um, that are actually running this race? We're just curious. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it seemed to me that at least part part of the uh, the race plan was to rely on medical help from runners themselves. Oh, so yeah. this is not the type of race where you're going to rely on just getting like, you know, um, you know, have an ATV like drive down there and pull mm-hmm. you out. You know, you're going to yeah. have to get out. Crawling to the aid station might not actually save you. <laughs> That's right. I mean, you're going to have to be. It had, it had some air of responsibility for your own well-being. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to get out of there. Yeah. Um, so you somehow made it up to the top of Ratchaw after an hour and forty-five minutes, and you said you took a video up there, like, yeah, I made it. Hurrah! Congratulations to myself. Type of video. Yeah. When you get to the top, in fact, I was I was only about a hundred feet from it, two hundred feet maybe. I could see all the spectators up there. Um, when I actually had my moment where I, I seized up, I cramped, and I started throwing up on the hill. And I was actually worried that they were going to pull me from the course. Someone would see this runner lying down, and uh, they would send somebody down and say, hey, you're, you're done. Yeah. Um, and uh, I had a few folks come by when I was lying down. Actually, they, were, they offered me more beef jerky. <laughs> like, hey, you do you all right? Here, I got some beef jerky. <laughs> no, I think I'm good. Thanks. It's the currency of the course. <laughs> yeah. yeah, more Slim Jims. Um, 
So I, I did make it up, though, at the very top of Ratchaw. You're not done yet. There's actually a fire tower you have to climb. So you get to the top of Ratchaw, and at the top, what? there's this three-story metal fire tower. And that's where the next uh, um, checkpoint is, where you have to get your bib punched. you got to be <laughs> so, kidding me. So you got to, like, climb this thing, which, uh, you know, I'm already cramping up. I actually felt better after, you know, throwing up like a lot of people do. Like, it was a relief. So I felt like my race might be coming back together here. <laughs> so everything's coming up Vidmar. Yeah, and if you notice this bib, I brought the bib with me. You know, they have, the way they do it is they have special punches for each checkpoint. So if, if you get all your punches, it spells out, I escaped, you know, on your bib. Oh, how cute. So the, uh, <laughs> yeah, the tower checkpoint, which is the fire tower, is right at the top of, of Ratchaw. Oh, so you're like, I escape. I got an I escape, yeah. Uh. <laughs> got to come back for that last one but uh yeah it was tough getting up there but it also affords you a nice view there was a breeze that hit all of a sudden on top of this fire tower and it was just like this moment of like um, rebirth yeah (laughs) yeah i'm going yeah i'm alive i might be in this and i checked my watch i'm like you know holy smokes i may actually have a shot of making this final cutoff i don't know how it's possible Mm -hmm. i mean i I basically left left for dead and retro i felt but i might actually be able to make the final cutoff and have a choice on whether i go on to do this 50k or not yeah seemed inconceivable but uh that's when i made the decision that hey let me try to try to run again mm-hmm. at least we got some downhill action going from here and um i think shortly after yeah shortly after uh you know i hit the fire tower it might have only been a mile of downhill running and uh you hit an aid station you have a chance for a little fueling up and that's when they said hey you got one hour one hour until the nine and a half hour cutoff and I thought this was done. I mean, at this point, mentally, I said, there's no way I make the cut. I'll just be happy to get off the course. But now it's like, geez, if I, if I try to run, if I can get back moving again, I might make the cutoff. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I just decided, hey, this would be fun to see if I had the choice. So I was able to pull together some, some running without cramping. It was mostly downhill and just get moving. And next thing you know, start passing people again, starts feeling good. Like, hey man, I'm back. I'm back. I'm in the zone. I mean, I wasn't thrown down a wicked pace, but I was actually moving. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that actually led to uh, a wrong course turn at that oh, point. Oh, going so down. fast. Yeah. Well, I think it confusing. We had our map out. I was with a group of people. We made a wrong turn. We ended up actually at this kind of the, this, this sheer rock drop off on the course with no trail in sight. And people were, people I were with, some of them were actually pretty visibly upset at that point. Um, you know, they were really. They really wanted to make the cutoff, right? So, you know, to have this chance of, you know, just being possibly, you know, 30 minutes away from the final cut, but then make this wrong turn. I mean, people were get pretty dejected. But mm-hmm. we kind of grouped together, like, hey, like, we got to head back to the last junction. <laughs> yeah. That must be where we missed the turn. Right. And, uh, you know, got back rolling again. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, after kind of a furious downhill scramble and feeling halfway decent, I actually made it to Laz. Um, at the final nine and a half hour cutoff, I made it there at like nine twenty two so I had eight minutes eight minutes to make a decision about going on to finish this fifty k or actually calling it a day and settling for an official marathon finish um, in my mind it actually I already my, my mind was made up actually I said, you know what I came and fought, but um, I'm really not here to, to, to prove a specific distance. I mean, the course got the better of me today. I felt lucky to get to that point. So I really didn't see the, uh, I, I guess somehow, um, yeah, reason prevailed maybe. And I said, I don't know if I, I just don't see the reason in trying to attempt this extra 8K 
fully cramping. I don't think I have it in me. It's not the way I want to finish the fall classic. Yeah. I'm going to say the course got me today. I got lucky to get to the final cut, but I'm going to call it a day. And, uh, you know, I actually have a halfway decent night after this thing's over. <laughs> yeah. So I remember I did go up to Laz, though, because you kind of have to tell him what you're going to do. Shook his hand, and I said, hey, Laz, I think I'm moving on. The course got the better of me today. And uh, I think I might have actually said, hey, I'm not going to go on. And he said, what the heck would you do that for? You know, he was kind of like, that was his typical answer, you know. And I think I blurbed out something incoherent about, oh, I guess all the Rochester trails couldn't get me ready for this or something, but I'll be back sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, I think that's, I mean, for some folks, I think you'd, they make a very different decision at that point. I think um, for some, having that that chance to go after that 50K, even if you're crawling to the finish line, just means that much more. Mm-hmm. In my view, it kind of goes back to what Laz said. I think Laz said people have their own definition of success and failure at some point. At some point, mm-hmm. you get through the ordeal, you make it up Bradshaw, you kind of reach that moment of truth. I don't know that you need to feel that a particular finish or distance is really how you would define success mm-hmm. for that experience. You know, just experiencing it was enough for me. So I basically decided at that point to come back and fight another day. I knew I wanted to come back. Uh, just not that day. So you're definitely <laughs> going back, huh? Yeah. You're all signed up? Sadly enough, I, yeah, I finished the marathon. I think I got listed as... Um, I think I finished somewhere. I was like I was like ninth or tenth in the marathon distance, you know, eleventh. But I I, I, I would call that top um, ten, baby, top ten. Yeah, it's silly. That's what ultra sign up says, right? You know how you know how keen I am on the ultra sign up mm-hmm. rankings. But in reality, I would call that like a hundred fiftieth because to mm-hmm. me, finishing the fifty k is really what the actual true spirit is about. And the marathon is kind of a consolation prize. I mean, it's cool. I got some dog tag out of it mm-hmm. that's hanging up in my office right now. You got some Slim Jim out of yeah. it, too, you know? So. Yeah, and it didn't destroy my ultra sign-up ranking. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Um, I keep that. <laughs> yeah, that that's, you got to keep getting projected to win all these that's, races. Uh, I got I to gotta have that, man. Yeah. Um, but I instantly knew I wanted to go back, though. Mm-hmm. You, know, you just kind of have that feeling like, hey, if I did this differently, this could be a very different race. Right. And I love the spirit and of the race. It's 10 degrees cooler, right? Like A little cooler would help me. For sure. It's the fall classic, not the summer classic. That's what I thought. It's just like (laughs) sweltering. But uh, you have, I mean, you know, you have, uh, I think there were upwards of 35 different states were represented Mm -hmm. with runners there. Um, Some Canadian provinces, a few different countries. So you kind of had this real collection of runners from really all over the country. Yeah. Elsewhere in the world. I think that whole vibe, meeting down in this little nowhere town in Tennessee Mm -hmm. and dealing with these crazy power line hills, it's just something about that um, is oddly appealing. Yeah, I I gotta admit, I mean, and the, and the like that idea of the prison and the climbing the ladder and the climbing the fire tower and you know the fact that you're puking on Ratchaw means that you're okay. You're not lying still, you know, like all of that right. stuff. And the idea of that, like nobody thinks it's crazy when you're down there. Nobody is saying to you, "I can't believe you're doing this," you know, like right. You're all of the same mind, and you're all just kind of like, yeah, let's give this thing a try. You yeah, know? this makes sense. Oh, cool. I got stung by some bees. Oh, That'll be a good story. That would not. Um, 70 times. Yeah, but I was but these class of races, though, I think they fall in a different class, though. They're kind of races that are only pseudo-runnable. Um, and that yeah. definitely doesn't appeal to everyone. Well, they're right? definitely endurance, right? I mean, endurance is a key aspect of it. But it's not necessarily endurance in the sense of running. It's what can you endure? <laughs> you know, that's right. a whole different idea. <laughs> There's a difference, a distinction there. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and that's definitely, you know, that's not going to appeal to, to every runner. I think some runners want to actually run. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, you know, things that, um, like, Badwater doesn't really appeal to me. You know, I yeah, just, I extreme. heat and flat and open and long and road, all those things together. I love the idea of the race. I, I sit there enthralled watching people do it and all the bad water documentaries and reading the books and listening to the podcast. I love it. It's not my style of race though. Yeah. You know, wearing the white jumpsuit, having yeah. like being iced <laughs> down by your van. Uh. Oh, just all of that. All of it just doesn't really appeal to me, but, um, for myself, it appeals to me in my sense of like, whoa you know like <laughs> right like that's that's my that's my reality tv as a runner right like that's my yeah i can't believe people do this can you believe those people exist and then on the other side is that idea like we were talking about with tough mutters or you know spartan races like that also doesn't really appeal to me um but in the middle yeah. there's this world of like running and climbing and hiking and seeing new things and going, I can't believe all the millions of things you can do with a mountain, <laughs> you know, like right. that, that that's a really large sweet spot that definitely appeals to me. Yeah. You start crossing over into that adventure racing realm mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah, and speaking exactly. of that, actually Rob, um, Rob, is it Fesner or Feisner? Feisner. Yeah. He's, he's, he's signed up for Barkley fall classic. He's going down. Yeah. I was able to, um, I was that able to glutton for punishment. trick a few people. To sign up for that. Um, well, there's a lot of Stratton's on the wait list. Yeah. Ready to go. Who else is going to Drew Caffrey? Mm-hmm. Um, there's, uh, I think Danielle's on the wait list. Yep. There's, 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 I think there's probably seven, well, Ben Murphy, of course, well, but there's like seven or nine people that are. After this podcast comes out, there's going to yeah. be another 15 on the wait list. Wait list is going to start opening up. People start dropping. I think June 1st is the full refund date. Yeah. So after June 1st is when you really get, um, you know, the wait, wait list movement. People yeah. start dropping. You need to be on before June 1st. That'd be a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would increase your chances yeah. greatly. So, you know, yeah. it, it's, it is definitely interesting um, in, in a lot of ways to me. But I also do like a little bit of running, <laughs> you know. And you did say you found a road and you got to run that. So, you know, there's that. Yeah, there's a road. There's a Jeep road section about three miles that uh, is pretty flat and runnable. Mm-hmm. So there's probably... You know, I don't, you have know. A, I don't have a fall race on my schedule after Laurel Highlands. I, I have yeah. not signed up for anything after Laurel. So. That can be a good recovery race for you. <laughs> um. <laughs> Decovery. Yeah. That's another one that's in that that domain of yeah. This is more, you can't just muscle your way through something like Laurel. No, Highland. there's no. Yeah, Laurel is going to be hard work, um, and that that's my plan. That's why yeah. I'm not. I don't have anything after it. I won't put anything on the calendar until I get past it. Yeah, that's that's like that's this year's. You know, this year's change yeah. is if that's the race I'm working towards. I'm gonna. I'm not putting anything else on until after it. I think that's a good approach. I mean, I used to try to stack up so much, but mm-hmm. just to have the less is more thing mm-hmm. going after the big memorable race. Well, and just to, if it is going to be my focus, then it's going to be my focus. Not to be like, oh, you know what? Laurel would have been great, but uh, I got this, you know, yeah. mending 50K on the calendar. Now, you know what the risk yeah. with that is, though? Not to, you know, send this into a whole nother tangent, but <laughs> the risk with, um, you know, focusing on just one race or two races is that in this sport we do, 
of ultra running or extreme endurance running, you know, the chances of injury or something happening to affect, or even something personal happening, you know, to affect that specific race date um, is high. It's, it's, it's an appreciable likelihood, right? So yep. something can happen, and then, you know, I think you really need to rationalize in your mind how you feel about it. If something does happen that interferes mm-hmm. with your big goal race for the year, yep. you know, what do you do when something does go wrong? Right. So... This is January. You have your. Big, <laughs> I'm not trying to jinx you, by the way. You have your big goal race in September. What are you doing yeah. up until September? So I took it. I took yeah. it and turned it. Turned so. it around. Yeah, and that's. Um, yeah. No, I. You know, to to say that, like, um, to answer that, I, I'm. That's what I'm dealing with right now. Like, I'm working towards June 10th. Yeah. You know, I got many on the Jenny on June 24th, and I expect that that's going to be awesome, and it's going to be great, and it's going to be amazing, and it's going to be a party with the community, and I'm going to run, or I'm going to be there, I'm going to participate in it, but um, June 10th, that's the goal race, you know? Yeah. And... um if something happens, then that thing was going to happen whether I had 20 races stacked up afterwards or not. Right. And all this idea of signing up for a race on December 13th when the race was on December 12th, you know, like I can't, <laughs> I can't deal with that. Um, yeah. we, we somehow have to push back a little bit on that and say, you know, and if you're going to open up your, you need to have refund policies. If you're going to open up, I mean, you yeah. got enough people signing up for these races. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to sign up for something in October just in case I get injured in June. I just, ugh, you know, yeah. I'm dealing with the same thing right now because I'm signed up for Georgia Death Race, which takes place April Fool's Day. What? Um, and that happened in a moment of weakness. Yeah, that that's when up. that's when Barkley happens. That's the same same day, same weekend as Barkley. But I've I've now just come to the realization, kind of over the past couple of weeks, that it the timing isn't right for it. It's just not lining up. And uh, yeah, you have three months. Yeah, <laughs> right. I don't need to qualify for 50k since I didn't get my 50k in at Barkley. Um, and I actually, I am signed up for a race that happens in less than two weeks, but I, I I think it it was, it was a matter of you're you're trying to fit in something that doesn't quite fully fit in with your life. Why don't you run the beast of burden 50 miler? That was an option I thought about. (laughs) Yeah. I'm actually signed up for a race in Ohio right now that happens the last weekend of January, but, uh, I'm not quite sure I feel about that. I've essentially only been really doing a few little group runs once in a while, beer miles and kettlebell lifting. That's been my training for the past uh, basically four or five four or five weeks. I'm not sure if that's going to be sufficient, but uh, I didn't know there was a beer called Kettlebell. <laughs> yeah. It's all it's all blended together now, you know. Uh, but I think something with George's Death Race, it was the same problem, like a really compelling race, an interesting race. It's a yeah. 68 miler, arguably a 72 miler, mm-hmm. kind of that whole kind of Tennessee, or this is Georgia in this case, but that whole southern you know, rugged, on your own, out there type of feeling to it. Yeah. But you had, you're forced to sign up the day it opens, which happened mm-hmm. to be, I think that was all the way back in, um, before I ran Barkley, I think that was all the way back in August I had to sign up because the race sells out in hours. Right, and if you were planning yeah. on Barkley being your 50K qualifier. Right. And I knew there was some risk in that, of course. Yeah, <laughs> you know but I mean, that? but you had to have signed up yeah. before that if that was on your plan. Yeah. But I think you're right. Unfortunately, we're forced to. I, I mean, I, I love... We talk a lot about out-of-state races. I, I, I do like racing locally as well. I, I mm-hmm. love, um, you know, as frequently as I get out to race, I do like to do some local races. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, you know, you got RDs out there who are kind of busting their hump and help get me into and open my eyes to the community. So I think that's an important aspect of it. But it is fun to go after these really extreme events, a couple mm-hmm. that don't happen to be here. Yeah. But you're forced to make this decision early on before you can possibly predict 
really yeah. what state your kind of your your balance of family life and work life is going to be to allow you to, to get it done and it's not something that really lined up for me right now in terms of training commitment because it's 60 plus miles i think it is a different class of training. Yeah, guy, again, not ready for Twisted Branch, but <laughs> yeah. I'll take on Georgia Death so maybe Race. Maybe that'll open me up for Twisted Branch. If I skip Georgia Death Race, maybe that'll allow room and room, you know, for me to mentally process Twisted you Branch. get started training now. Yeah. You'll be all right. Solid plan. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, I, I like I was going to say, you got the Barkley Fall Classic, and... I guess you had Georgia Death Race, and are you looking at other things this year, or are you going to just kind of go on a few more adventures and see what happens? Yeah, race-wise, I'm not really planning more races beyond that. Like, Twisted Branch is out there in my mind. Um, A friend asked me about pacing on our first 100-mile attempt, so I kind of got that out there in my mind. Um, I do have a few adventure targets. Um, I have I have another business trip coming up out west in go. May. I got to do something. And uh, oh, man. a crazy idea that was planted in my head when I when I Zion. did Zion 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 or it seems a little silly now. But when I did rim to rim uh, to rim, you know, the guy that had hiked it the same day with me said, "Hey, have you ever thought about doing rim to rim to rim to rim?" <laughs> the uh, the triple crossing adds so, six more hours to that, right? Do a do a hundred k in the canyon. Mm-hmm. That that's maybe getting a bit extreme, but uh, Wonderland Trail. Um, yep. Up around Rainier was something that I'm yep. kind of kicking the tires on. Wonderland I mean, not, sounds awesome. Not doing the whole 93 mile Wonderland, but uh, well, listening to um, listening to or reading about Chrissy Mail doing the the Wonderland FKT was yeah. simply amazing. And you're, then you're reading one of her her books right now, right? Yeah, I'm yeah. going to use her training plan for. Um, so she just she has a training plan book you know, yeah. running your first ultra and in there in there there's some of her anecdotes and her stories and everything but her blog is she blogs all the time about her yeah. adventures and the Wonderland one is just so much fun. She ha- she holds the um, the women's FKT. Yep. Yeah, and Gary Robbins. And has Gary the, Robbins uh, and he was on URP talking uh, Ultra Runner podcast talking about his and that was absolutely so much fun to listen. It's <laughs> always so much fun to listen to Gary Robbins talk. Yeah, I and, saw the short that uh, Gin- uh, Ginger Runner um, yeah. did the yeah. little movie short. Yeah, pretty compelling as well. Yeah, and just Gary Robbins running that trail. He just talks about. I mean, and you could just picture them running through a a, a thing called Wonderland, like <laughs> with snow on the trees and little you know sparkles falling down. And yeah, yeah, it sounds pretty awesome. So I'm sure that's not exactly what it's like, but <laughs> it sounds pretty awesome. Well, he also, as I, from the video, as I recall, he I mean, he had a very kind of strict and highly regimented, um, you know, race day planning at Pacers. I mean, he was going for the FKT, mm-hmm. so it was no hold bar. Let me get the crew and everything. Oh, yeah. So he wasn't. Yeah. It seemed like it was pretty intense. Uh, mm-hmm. It wasn't like I'm going to go out and meditate in the woods. He's like, no, but he also. Um, yeah, that's his kind of, he is intense. Like, he doesn't do things mm-hmm. not intensely, you know? I mean... He's just, going back to Barkley, too. Yep, he is. And uh, what's well, going to be interesting this year, though, now, with the idea of that you, you can't run together and... Yeah, Laz is, Laz is hip to all these oh. tricks now, you know, so... Yeah, I know he said he doesn't want to accept anything less than, obviously, the five-loop finish. Yep. Um, Jamil um, is... His training is pretty insane. If you ever watch him on, on Strava, mm-hmm. I, I checked it on his training, and he um, by October or September he had already climbed four hundred fifty thousand feet in the year on like seventeen hundred miles, and hadn't even started specifically training. Right. He yet. hadn't even ramped up on it yet. Yeah. Um, and he randomly just ran New York City Marathon in there. I think he ran a two forty something there. Um, 
So, or maybe it was 250 something, but obviously in great shape, but a lot of it is hill repeats, you know? Um, yeah. but yeah, for my thinking, I mean, Wonderland Trail would be interesting. I'm not sure what I want to do out there yet. Maybe split it up into like a 50k plus, figure out logistically mm-hmm. what I could do. Um, there's some talk of going up to the White Mountains, doing the Pemi Loop. I think mm-hmm. you and I were talking about some ideas about that. Yeah, if that happens in the fall, that would be great for me. But, you know, I don't yeah. want The group wants to do spring because these kids, they chomp at the bit. They got to go when they get the idea. But fall would be great. That's a 50K, though. Most people do that multiple days for the hike. So mm-hmm. that's a little bit of um, super rugged, super mm-hmm. exposed. Um, that's, that's a trickier route at that distance level. Yeah. And then there's um, the 100-mile wilderness, which is a section of the AT, um, mm-hmm. right before you get to Mount Katahdin. Um, that's been on my radar for a little while, too, like right. doing something there. Like, what could right. you do in the 100-mile wilderness? Well, go 100 miles. Go 100 miles there. Yep, exactly. <laughs> How long would it take you? I don't know yet. But yep. bring, a, bring a bivy sack with you. Right. Is there anyone? And it's the woods of Maine. I mean, it's pleasant. Yeah, know? no bugs or anything no. like that or no weather. <laughs> do it in July. Do it in July. You'll be fine. <laughs> Yeah, nice and calm there. Yeah, so I, you know, Zion really sounds like a cool run too. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it sounds like you, you know, you have no plan, which sounds like a perfect plan for you. <laughs> it's a perfect recipe for something really foolish to uh, to occur. So, dude is going to go back to Barkley Fall Classic in 2017. And he's bringing a bunch of Rochester folks with him. I think with some of that local rock trail runner support, this year is going to be a finish for a lot of them, Jason included, as long as those dogs don't get a hold of him. Also, also, don't tell him that I told you this, but he ran a 50K right after we recorded this episode, and now he's going to go down and run Georgia Death Race. Yeah. You know, 68 miles, Georgia, ups and downs. You know, just a little little ramble through the woods. Um, so, sheesh, I don't know. Um, whew, anybody can do it. It's uh, it's Viddy. Um, but he may need a little help from our longtime sponsor, Josh Stratton. You know Josh. <laughs> Josh is a licensed massage therapist who knows treatments that active athletes need, though I'm not sure he knows any treatment for uh, saw briar wounds or uh, yaller dog bites, but you know he'll listen to your stories too. You know while he's while he's uh, giving you any number of custom massage treatments. His office is located inside Sports PT in Winton Place. If you use the code website when booking during February for fifteen dollars off, uh, yeah. You'll get 15 bucks off a 60-minute massage. Notice that code has been website for a couple of months now. Mm. Hints and um, perhaps portents of things to come. Josh can customize your website. <laughs> Josh can customize your massage any way you'd like. Website. Heck, I went in there this past week and just had him spend 30 minutes on my shin bones. Yeah, you know, tib posterior, tib anterior, and then, of course, a little bit of calf stuff in the back just to balance things out. And I had some issues and, uh, you know, helped me out with them. So uh, I am no longer crazy. Uh, so anyways, head out to his Facebook page at facebook.com slash Josh Stratton LMT. 
That's still a Facebook page. Yep. Um, or find that link in the show notes to learn more and to book an appointment. Tell them you heard about it here on this podcast and use this month's secret code website and he'll give you $15 off a 60 minute massage. Yep. What's normally 65 bucks for an hour will be 50 bucks. So thanks to Josh for continuing to sponsor the show. Be sure to check out the episode show notes for links to some of the topics we discussed, like Jason's comprehensive write-ups, some thrilling video from the Grand Canyon and the PMP Hill Challenge, as well as information on our sponsors, Twisted Branch Trail Run and Josh Stratton LMT. You can also find links to the Strava Run Group and the Patreon page. So um, Jason actually helped build these show notes, so they are handcrafted by him you know, and you know how to get to them, right? Runninginsideoutpodcast.com slash zero four four. That's where they'll be. You can just go right out there and see the stuff that Jason has compiled for you. I had no hand in it. Well, I had a little hand in it, but he had most of the hand in it. So it's all him. Thank you to all of this month's Patreon supporters. You know, we talked about our sponsors, but uh, we also want to talk about these Patreon folks. Uh, I'd like to give a big shout out to our newest Patreon supporters. And let me tell you, it was a banner month for new supporters. It started off with Derek Bacchus. Then it was followed by Eric Egan and Jamie Hobbs and Dan Lopata. So we have four new supporters in the month of January. But while we're at it, let's thank the longtime Patreons also. Maybe you haven't heard their name in a while. So thank you to Matt Bertrand, TJ DiPietro, Jeff Green, Goat Factory Media Entertainment, Chris Hobart, Pete Kretzak, Mike Mertzak. So Pete Kretzak, Mike Mertzak, together. Look at that. Um, Michael Valone and one anonymous person who wishes no acknowledgement be given to them, ever. So if you look forward to this podcast each week and it inspires, educates, or entertains you regularly, consider becoming a Patreon supporter. And please know that any amount of support is appreciated. Patreon supporters got a nice little notice today about some cool new podcast swag that will be coming out. And um, once they have it in their hot little hands, then I will tell all the rest of you about it. So, you know, um, it pays to be a Patreon supporter, but um, it also just pays to be a listener. And I appreciate you all for listening. And so I will be very anxious to share this new swag with you coming very soon. Uh, and if you want to chat about this episode with other listeners or simply share your uh, stories about swag you'd like to see or yaller dogs that been chasing you, um, drop a line on the Facebook page or shout at me on Twitter at Run Inside Out. Also, consider joining our Running Inside Out Slack, where we chat about all manner of things, uh, including <laughs> recent episodes, wireless drone printers for waiver signing at races, um, yaller dogs. <laughs> it's sort of like social media, but without the media part. And really, and that's, yeah, just the social part. If that sounds like your kind of place, check out the Strava group on the sidebar of the website for the link that will get you a Slack invite. Thank you all for listening, subscribing, and telling your friends. Thanks for sharing your stories and getting out there to create more stories. Until next episode, be thankful for what you've been given, be proud of what you've achieved, and let go of what you've lost. See you out there.